The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions, gamers dominate the tabletop, and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies, and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Who's here for another exciting trip down memory lane. And our other special guest co-host, Jack Ward. Dire Wraiths! <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about those, Jack. We're going to be talking about those. Um, because tonight we are going to be talking about Marvel toy and media tie-in comics. Yes, you heard me right, folks. We're going to be talking about Micronauts, G.I. Joe, Transformers, US-1, and a whole lot of other comics that you've never even heard of or thought about in a long time if you're old enough to remember them. We're going to be talking about how Marvel shielded itself out in the 70s and 80s and how that pretty much saved the company. So, on that note, Don, let's go for some historical perspective. Tell us about the history of toy and media tie-in comics, or I guess starting with media, right? Yeah, because this is, now we're going to, there, there's kind of two things that are really closely related that we're only going to get into one. And when you get, to, you get to, to this sort of thing, we're referring to the stuff where, specifically Marvel, because they were the ones that mastered this, where they would take an existing property, make a comic of it, and kind of continue it. Mm -hmm. They also did a lot of, say, movie adaptions, where they would do, it was usually one or two issues that would be the comic book novella version of a popular film. Mm -hmm. We're not exactly getting into those. Those were something different. There's something, if you're under the age of 40, you've probably never really heard of it. Mm -hmm. But back in, say, the 70s, even going into the 80s, we didn't have home video. So they were popular. Same thing with, like, movie trading cards were a big deal back then. Because that was the only way you could relive the movie. You couldn't actually watch it until they showed it on TV if they ever did. Or repertory theaters. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you'd get that. Um, they also had uh, the Super 8 versions. Oh, yes, that's true. But those those were those are actually only like 10 or 12 minutes long. They were really cut-down versions. Yeah, because I remember as a kid, I had a friend, his parents were teachers, and his, they were both like technophiles, and they had an, a Super 8 projector, and we watched Star Wars in 78 at home. But it was Star Wars in 12 minutes. <laughs> oh my god! What, what was left? Not a lot. Um, but it, but again, yeah. it, it's, this, it's this idea that this is what we, we, we had to, to deal with. And that's why when you get kind of to the late 80s, movie adaptions as comic books more or less disappear. Yeah, well, they're not necessary anymore, right? Yeah. Some companies did, like uh, Blackthorn did a few of them, like well into the 90s for some reason. And I think Dark Horse did a couple. But for the most part, they, 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 they weren't as prevalent as they were because, yeah, like you had home video. You didn't need an adaption of, of the stuff. Well, I wonder also, if the original Fantastic Four was 
done, but that was in 94. The original Fantastic Four, if it was done in Super 8 or something like that. <laughs> the Ro- Roger Corman version, right? Because it was never released, uh, except for, I don't think it was even released in video. It like went straight to <laughs> the back alleys, right? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody drop it off a truck. That's how I found it. So yep. you filmed it. You could probably find it on YouTube, I bet, somewhere if you go looking. Oh, now, yeah, now, yeah. but I mean, but like, back, in the, back in the 90s, yeah. a friend of mine actually had, like, a bootleg tape from a bootleg yep. tape from a bootleg tape that never <laughs> got it. Yeah, no, that was the that was how it was filmed. It was, like, filmed on a hand cam. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing people <laughs> hawking copies of that at the Motor City Comic Con in Detroit back in, like, late, what, late 90s? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I remember, yeah, that was up on the screens. You know, people were like, when we were going through the video, all the bootleg videotapes, oh, glory days, <laughs> glory days. But we're getting off track. <laughs> Um, that's that's a whole other conversation. So, right. so since you did a little research, Don, tell me what is the oldest tie-in comic that you managed to find? It sort of depends how you look at it because uh, we've talked about the uh, famous funnies, mm-hmm. nineteen thirty-four, the first official comic book, mm-hmm. and it was basically this because it was a collection of newspaper strips done in in something close to what we'd recognize as a comic book, right? And that's how. There's actually two versions that come before. The oldest one was called The Funnies, and that came out in 1929. Mm-hmm. It was the same idea, but it wasn't. it's not considered a comic book. It was a newspaper insert. Right. If anybody here, uh, like when I was a kid, 70s and the 80s, the Toronto Sun used to do what they called the Sunday Sun. Mm-hmm. Which it was a little like um, half-size yep. fold, and it was it was their version of the Sunday comics. It was in color, and it was like a little, like... 12 page like comic book of newspaper strips my aunt and uncle used to save them for me oh nice yep and that's basically what this thing was this the funnies from 1929 and then there was another one that came out a couple years later that i think it was eastman that put it out and it was meant as a test Mm -hmm. and this is why it's not considered the first comic book because it wasn't widely released it it, there's kind of doubt it was released at all But what was the first one that was was literally meant to be like another like based on a movie or or movies back then or radio play or something else that you could find? Uh, the first one of those that comes out, it's it was called Four Color. Okay. And in 1939, they started doing like uh, adaptions of Disney stuff. So oh. issue 13 was was the Reluctant Dragon, mm-hmm. which is like the third Disney film. 17 was Dumbo. Pete, Pete the Reluctant Dragon? Is that what we're talking about? Oh no, this is this is the Reluctant Dragon was a whole separate it this is from like oh, okay. like thirty-four. It's it's like the second oh, or third Disney film. I've never even heard of it before. Yeah, most people haven't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so there are lost Disney films. I don't oh they're they're that actually Song of the well, South. Besides, that's not yeah. lost. That's purposely <laughs> shoved in the closet and staying there. <laughs> that's yeah, there's there's a couple. Like I I don't know if the Reluctant Dragon is exactly lost, but it's one of those things. It's like the Oswald the Rabbit stuff. They just kind of mm-hmm. it it just sort of disappeared. Mm-hmm. 1941, apparently. There you go. RKO Pictures. Mm-hmm. That might be yeah, why. It's, it's, wow. Yeah, well, because yeah. RKO was a distributor back mm-hmm. then, right? Right, but maybe they so, had some but, of the rights to it. Maybe Disney didn't completely own the rights to it. So that's one of the reasons why it couldn't it didn't get pulled into the disney catalog oh no disney has the right disney probably has the rights to us <laughs> well um, that too yeah it's 
it's one of those things I think because it's such old primitive animation. It's just because it it there was mm-hmm. shoot I think in the eighties there was like a a videotape that it was the the extra feature on. Oh okay. But because it's so old and it's I think it's in black and white right. and that it, it it's it's not considered something popular. No, no. It it we're not going to hear about it till they do the live action remake for some reason. <laughs> yeah, there you so. go. But but it's it's there's uh, a there there's a few of those ones like that it's it's not lost it's just ignored right right like I said like Oswald Rabbit or the story of menstruation like Disney has these they just never release them because they don't think there's an audience for them until the mm. live action remake <laughs> the story of menstruation sure starring The Rock Johnson <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we go. Well, the, the question is, will it be in black and white? Apparently, the first 20 minutes of the, of the film, Rock and Dragons, in black and white, and the rest is in Technicolor. Oh, okay, yeah. So most of the film is live action, with four short animated oh, segments that's inserting into the running time. Yeah, isn't that weird, man? I want to see it now. they got to find it somewhere. Probably on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think you can. I think I might have a copy of it somewhere down in my collection. On, on videotape because like i said i do think it did get released mm-hmm. uh, at one at one point but it, again it's one of those ones that disney has a lot of old features that there's not really an audience right. for it. right because there's some that we would have seen when we were kids like say make mine music and that like they played it to death in the 70s but then after the 80s it was you know nobody wants to hear like 1930s swing music anymore <laughs> kind of until the until the 90s yeah. and then i don't know why they didn't bring it back then right well, then they do, don't they do the sort of, or they used to, they used to do the whole, now we're opening the vault, and yeah, then yeah. they're closing the vault so that they, they build sort of a shortness and people, an expectation, and like, oh, I haven't been able to see this for 10 years, so, yeah. Yeah, I think streaming kind of put the kibosh on that. Yeah, although I suspect what they'll probably, they'll probably start rotating what's in the streaming service catalog, yeah. Yeah. If not already. Yeah. Been doing that now, they're doing that yeah. already. I can't believe I can't even go watch the Willow series. Mm. It's gone. It was just put out less than a year ago, and you can't find it on Disney Plus anymore. Huh. Weird. Is that because of rights issues? I wonder why it's disappeared. It's owned by by Lucasfilms, and Lucasfilms is bought by Disney. So they they spent all this money putting up this new series, and now you can't even find it. Well, not on Disney Plus, because I know that some of these series, so what they've done is... From, because Don and I were talking about this earlier, because there's a supposed money crunch going on among a lot of the streamers. What they're doing is some of the content they're making, they're then licensing it out to the other streamers for money. So it's entirely possible that Willow will pop up on Netflix next month. And that... that and so it says that, yeah, the series was removed from Disney Plus on May 26, 2023, amidst the Disney Plus and Hulu purge. Uh, okay. I, I, I have no idea. I, I heard it wasn't that good. Was the Willow series any good? No, no, it wasn't. I, I, I was only watching it as a completion <laughs> oh, okay, okay. thing, but I could have... It's, I got to about two or three episodes, and I thought, this is really terrible. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. all right, so let's get back on track then. So, Don, we're, we're going to have enough to cover just in the 70s and 80s, so is there any other historical things right. you wanted to cover before we got to before we get to the good stuff? Yeah, just this is the thing. Now, this doing all of this was this was Dell Comics mm-hmm. doing it, and at one time Dell was one of the the big companies, and the the Disney tie-ins were mostly their bread and butter. At one yes, point. yes, the Disney tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I know about those, right? Yeah, 
yeah, they worked with uh, Western Publishing, and when you get to the uh, you get to the early '60s, Western and Dell split right. up, and Western forms Gold Key Comics, and most of what Gold Key did was these kind of titles, not Disney ones, because they didn't have the Disney rights. No, they did have the Disney rights, and then that's kind of why Dell disappears in '74, oh. and Gold Key continued on until like '84, because they had Disney, they had the uh, Warner Brothers stuff. At one point, they were doing, like, Star Trek. They did uh, the Twilight Zone. They had a Boris Karloff version of the Twilight Zone that they did. They had the Hanna-Barbera stuff. Uh, the King feature. They had the King feature stuff. So they were doing, like, Popeye. They were doing, like, uh, Flash Gordon. And then when they did the uh, Flash Gordon cartoon, mm-hmm. which I think was, was. filmation in was, the 70s, yeah. they kind they swung it a little more that way. A lot of what they were doing was kind of, it looked like reprints of the King Feature stuff, or we'll say homages to the King Feature stuff from mm-hmm. earlier. And then that was a big thing. Gold Key lasted till 84. They they started this idea of, of adapting, um, like getting licensed properties and continuing them. We talked about it for the half hour toy ad bit. There wasn't a lot of quality mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. There would be set standards. Uh, famously, the uh, Stupid Comics website has one talking about the Tweety and Sylvester ones that Gold Key did. The uh, article's title is Model Sheets are for Pussies. <laughs> well, we'll have to link because it shows this idea that there really was very little control. When when Gold Key did Star Trek, the first few issues don't really look like Star Trek because the artist... I that- have <laughs> them. Yep. I have We're, the they three have- big collections of those, yes. Yeah, and the first few, like, all the crewmen are wearing those weird kind of, like, greenish-yellow outfits. Yeah, and the phasers don't exist, and there's and they, they use, like, tricorders to do in a, instead of communicators as ra- and call them radios. It goes on and on and on. There's a whole list of stuff. And there's flames coming out of the back yes, of the end yes. the cells. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty awful. But it's, it, it's fun. It's very pulpy for me, it, so. It is, it is famously what happened with that is the guy that did the art had never seen <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> he, yeah, he's from Italy or something like that, wasn't he? Like, yeah. he'd never seen Star Trek, yeah. He'd never yeah, heard of it. He had just a couple of pictures. And that was why you'd see all these, like, the characters, most of them don't look like the guys mm-hmm. in the show and... That's like, right. like you were saying, the equipment, nobody knew what it did. They they had that one picture of Spock with a tricorder, and they thought that must be everything, because I don't know. And, yeah, right. it's, w- when you get near the end, it starts looking like the show, because the show was in syndication, and they had a chance to see it. But, mm. but it was that idea, it was very loose, because you just sort of licensed it out, and as long as they met certain minimum standards, mm-hmm. the owner didn't care. Yeah, and, and who was that Gold Key yep. as well? Because I was going to yeah. say, one of the things you don't have on your list that you thankfully sent to me was the $6 million Man comics. Yep, because that, that again... They were Charlton comics. They weren't Gold Key, though. So. Yeah, oh, Charlton jumped on that bandwagon because they had... Uh, they did, oh, they did like, the Hanna-Barbera stuff as well. Everybody did mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera. Like, we'll be getting sure. into that, and Mar- Marvel did Hanna-Barbera. We'll be getting... But they, because Charlton did that too. They did, they did like uh, the Mort Walker stuff. So they did mm-hmm. Beetle Bailey, right? At one yeah, point, yeah, they did like uh, they did Speed Racer. They did HB stuff, and oh. and again, it was this was the bread and butter. This was kind of because the Disney stuff was making money for the other companies. Everybody wanted a piece of that, and that's why they'd license whatever they get their hands on. Mm, makes sense. Oh. 
Yeah, because that takes us kind of into the 70s with Marvel. Because when you get to the, the 70s, the comic industry in North America is in trouble. It's starting to collapse. Marvel Comics, from the very beginning, as part of their, you know, it's the world outside your door tying into reality. They never met a trend mm-hmm. they couldn't jump on. <laughs> so they were kind of trying to do the same thing. The first one of these kind of media tie-ins Marvel gets is in 1970 they do conan and boy was that a success and it it really was and it's 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 the sort of thing is again anybody under the age of 40 probably has no idea that conan was one of their Mm -hmm. top selling books and it's part of that 70s sword and sorcery thing uh the character was popular uh roy thomas yep they he's he was a brilliant writer of yes he was just fantastic i'm i'm a Huge. I'm. I am a monster fan of Conan. I had all the books when I was a kid. Did you guys know that I sat in his desk? Yeah, I yeah. Saw, you sent the picture. I'm like, oh, Robert that's crazy. Howard. I was gonna say you sat Roy Dom- Roy Thomas's desk yes. too. That would be impressive. <laughs> just, just, no, no, just Robert right. E. Howard's desk. That would be cool. Roy that's Thomas. Good too. Yeah. I, I, it, if you're listening, Roy, I'm up for it any time. I, I think he's still around, actually. Yeah, yeah, he is. Right. He is. Wow, yeah, That's, yeah that, we should we interview. We should, we should see if we can get him on the show. That would be fantastic, Roy. If you're if you're listening, oh. just contact me. Um, so, um, <laughs> uh, actually, I know a few people who might know him. So we'll see. Um, so, okay, but but yeah, it's yeah. Conan. And did Roy write it right from the beginning, or who started the Conan comics? Do you know offhand when they first started doing them? I, I believe it was Roy. I think yeah. it was Roy who 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 set the whole thing up because he was a huge fan too. If I remember correctly, Roy was also a teacher, <laughs> and, and this was one of the things that he did to get himself out of the classroom. <laughs> yeah, because I think he wrote it, and uh, Barry Windsor Smith was ah, the original artist, yeah. right? And he set a lot of the to- he set a lot of the imagery that would continue as mm-hmm. it as it went on, right? And like it, it took off. It's it's amazing if you look at comics from the early seventies, like Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. and you see the ads. Conan is yeah, always yeah. part of the. He's properties. always there somewhere. And he was also the guy who wrote the original script for the first movie, if I remember correctly, too. Like, he jumped in to do that. He didn't end off finishing it, but he was the one who helped set the tone. Not surprising. I think he might... One of the the guys who did the comic did. I think it was him, because he was basically the Conan guy for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that sounds right. So it's... And yeah, you're right. Everything Marvel... Yeah, any any Marvel ad period in the 70s and well into the 80s would have Conan in it. Yeah, because he was. And they one had of the... John Bushima as an artist at one point too, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, he came. He came later. He's the one that did for the longest, and everybody thinks of that because yeah. I remember hearing um, there was a discussion um, with the the guys working on it. I forget who the editor was, but they decided to put Roy Thomas on his art, and there was a kind of protest because uh, Barry Windsor Smith had basically set up the whole mm-hmm. visual thing, and the editor's statement was something to the effect of. With Windsor Smith, you're making great art, but with uh, with uh, Bishima. the other guy, you'll you'll I can't with uh, John Bashima, you'll right. sell lots of comic books. <laughs> That's right. And they did because again, uh, Windsor Smith was a mm. he was more of a fine artist, right? And he was he was slow because of that. He he did these amazing detailed, beautiful like like almost psychedelic pictures. Yeah. Wow! But he couldn't. Yeah. Keep up. You'll appreciate this, Rob, because you're you're doing mm-hmm. comics yourself right now. Roy Thomas was 
the single writer from issues 1 to 115 from 1970 That's to 1980. Good. And then 200, 240 to 275 from <laughs> 91 to 93. So I why know. are you so slow? Damn it. I've only got like 60, <laughs> yes, 60-odd episodes out of, of Lord of Goblins. I got I to gotta work on that. Um there you go. Don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll catch up. Eh? I will catch up. Actually, uh, that's totally doable. I'm probably going to be on that Can't book wait. for another like ten years. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to take us a while to get through <laughs> it all. Um, so yeah. Um, now, no surprise then that Conan, of course, led to Cull in 1971, because Marvel. Did, no, actually, wait. Yep. One thing on Conan. I remember there being two Conan of things effectively. There was the Conan color comics, and there was the black and white magazine because it was he was so popular. Yep. Yeah. For sure oversized magazine that came because they could do it as a mature one right yeah that was okay so and thomas wasn't writing those as well or was he writing both he was writing both at times i don't think he was always writing the savage sword either but i think he 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 set the tone for all of that stuff i mean i wish roy thomas was the guy who was writing the books as opposed to lynn carter and uh what's robert jordan because robert jordan took um really did not have he, he took a lot more liberties and kind of ripped apart a lot of the original stories to try to have mm-hmm. a more coherent right. um, timeline and I think Roy Thomas might have done right. it, would have done it better yeah, in enough. my personal opinion. Well, because he did. Yeah, he did. Roy yeah. Thomas yeah. did. So perfect, perfectly good. And of yes. course, Cole, yeah. for those who are not familiar, was another Robert E. Howard creation. In fact, he was he predates Conan, if I remember right, doesn't he? Yeah, he was the first one, and some of yeah. the Cull stories were actually rewritten for Conan stories later on. So yeah. because Conan took off and Cull did not, but he be, he was still considered part of the the canon and the history of Conan. He was like Conan's great 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 grandfather. Wow. Time, so. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the the Cull comic never quite took off either. Because Marvel, the first ones in seventy one, and then basically every few years they do do another Cull one, mm-hmm. but they'd only last like. I think the longest one was like 11 or 12 issues. Most of them, they started in the mm-hmm. 80s. They did a couple miniseries. Yeah. Because again, they never, it was one that never quite caught on, but they're the, they're the same flavor. They're the same kind of, I think though, they're a little, the call stories, cause I love the, the call. I love the novels. They're a little more, I guess, whimsical and mm-hmm. kind of fairy tale like. Yeah, they're not as they're not as world built as as Hyboria mm-hmm. in the same way. So you yeah. can play with them more fable like in that way. By the way, I just want to sh- show my nerd cred. Last week, I just received because I because I that's how much of a collector when it comes to Conan I am. I just went and bought the Conan the 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 Barbarian television series that came out in the <laughs> on DVD. Oh you, you mean so, the live action one, right? <laughs> The one that was filmed mostly in gravel one, pits yeah. in like yeah. Liberia or something like that, or Germany, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, in Germany yeah. and stuff like that. that. Was yeah, Eastern, yeah, I was yeah. East, sorry, I want to say Liberia. <laughs> I meant East, some Eastern European country, but your Germany will do too. Um, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I think I tried watching it once those, or twice, those, but I think I remember it being too cheesy for me, so I couldn't quite get through it. Yes. Okay. It's terrible, but I had to have it. So. Fine. I enjoyed it. It's I found it yeah. dry, but it All wasn't right. terrible. Yeah. Next next on my list is the Planet of the Apes television show. So there you go. Oh, oh that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that. But let's get back to the comic list because apes will come up later. Yeah. So of yes, course they will. Uh, and of course, actually, and the other 
one that, you know, I think everybody forgets, especially in the 70s. True, and I truly think that when people talk about like 70s Marvel comics, the two things that they're going to forget that were mega hits were Conan and Dracula. Yeah. Dracula oh, yeah. was so huge. Like people underestimate, I think, today how huge the Dracula comics were back in the 70s and going yeah. into the 80s too. Um, Absolutely. I mean, today we've only got the echoes, like, of course, you know, Blade, of course, was around because Blade is from, you know, Tomb of Dracula. But those yeah. Dracula comics were astoundingly popular back then. Because, of course, there was a whole camera horror thing going on at the same time. And But I, yeah, I, I'm always amazed when I look back about how well Dracula did. And it ran for pretty much the entire 90s and, or sorry, the entire 70s and right up until the, right into the 80s, I think. Yeah, because remember what that was and what Savage Sword of Conan was and... One the, uh, that you kind of mentioned, 74, Marvel did uh, The Planet of the Apes, which was, they were magazines. Right. And they were trying to cash in on the uh, Warren Publishing magazine things. Yes, yes. Because those were super popular. And that's basically, because if I remember correctly, the Tomb of Dracula would have the Dracula story. And then they do like like four or five page like backup kind of stories that maybe tied in, maybe didn't. Right. Um, by the way, it went until it went from seventy-two until seventy-nine. So then there are seventy issues of it. That's proper Tomb of Dracula, of course, as opposed to the uh, whatever the full-size magazine one was called. Uh, that I think that was Tomb of Dracula was the magazine, as I recall. No, I think no Tomb of Dracula was the color one. I think wasn't it? I thought Tomb of Dracula was the color, and what was the other one that they that they did called? Because there were there was another one, right? Yeah, there was. Uh, I think there was. I think there was one. Uh, called here it is. Dracula lives. Black and white. Dracula lives. Yes, Dracula lives was the black and white one published from seventy three to seventy five. Okay. Um, then there was also giant size Dracula, which is a campaign to the qu- a quarterly comic book that ran five issues. And there was a black and white Tomb of Dracula, also also called Tomb of Dracula, that ran six <laughs> issues from seventy nine to eighty. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to keep track and going back to the Conan thing. Mm-hmm. Conan did the same thing where they would do treasury editions, which would collect a story and have like maybe like a new backup one. And they did a little like pocket editions, mm-hmm. which were like the Japanese Tankobon, yep, yep. the newspaper, like the the novel size. So it's hard to keep track of some of these because they publish so many different versions of these things. Yeah. Oh, fun, fun, and there's your fun fact. It was so popular, the Japanese even did a Tomb of Dracula animated movie. In which he eats a hamburger. Right, that's true. He does, doesn't he? <laughs> yep. We'll have to link to the Stupid Comics article on that one, too. Yep, that's that's very true. But yeah, yeah, Dra- Dracula, Sovereign of the Damned. Or as Dracula, Emperor of Darkness. Um, and yeah, it was done for TV Asahi in 1980. 94 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, but but Dracula was massively popular back in the and horror comics in general, of course, were in the seventies. But Dracula might have been the most yeah. popular of them all. I would argue at that time. Yeah, some of some of the Warren ones, like when you get to the late seventies, I think like Vampirella was probably uh, comparable. Well, yeah, she's got huge talents, so there's no, no so it's not surprising <laughs> there that Vampirella would actually, you know, remember, this was the early days when we didn't have the internet for porn, right? So we had to take, you take tips when we could get them. <laughs> Tomb of Dracula, yeah. or sorry, uh, Dracula Lives, or Vampirella is the case, maybe. Yeah, because this was also the era that Marvel, um, 
again hopping on the bandwagon had a bunch of like horror story heroes because this was also um tales of voodoo right that's true um the living zombie the living mummy this was the uh werewolf, werewolf by, night. by night yep was, yep uh there was a frankenstein's monster one that they did mm-hmm. That they were that they were really kind of leaping into the classic horror thing. Well, I mean, Dracula sold so damn well. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, this was also the era that they were reprinting like a lot of the uh, the Kirby Monster comics in the fifties. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because this was they were reprinting them as fear and where monsters dwell and where creatures roam. Because mm-hmm. those were the stuff that I read when I was a kid. I wasn't a big superhero guy, but I liked the monsters. Right, right. Yep. Nope. I I totally get that. I guess we should also mention... And, and Morbius so, okay. shows up even in, in 71 in Marvel, too, right? For the yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's right. So he yeah. predates Dracula. I think he shows up as, like, a villain for Spider-Man yep. or something at first. Yeah. Your tragic, sympathetic, I don't want blood, but I must have blood yep. Yep. story. <laughs> as, as he walks around in his high-collar disco pants. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, it's, yep, there we go. What's that sound? <laughs> and so am I, darling. <laughs> oh man, that would be the movie. They should have done that. That's right. Totally. You're right. They should have done it as a period piece. Absolutely. That would have been so awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay. Anyway, so um, so uh, there was another, of course, Marvel one that you have that you note on your list on, which is of course Doc Savage in 1972 as well. Yeah. Um. Which I can't imagine did quite as well as Dracula did, but maybe it did okay. How, how well did it do? Not real well. Doc Savage, as I recall, again, they did it as um, as a regular comic. Mm-hmm. And they did it as a magazine, as a black and white magazine. And it, it wasn't around very long. Doc Savage is one of those ones everybody does at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, as I recall, in the 80s, like, I think DC had a Doc Savage series. And then I think in the 90s, it was, again, it was like Blackthorn or... Uh, or uh, Dark Horse of one of those companies brought him yeah. back again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, it never quite catches, because that was the same one. The pulps were in the air, I think, because again, like Conan. Yeah. And the uh, Marvel does the comic in 72, and remember in 76, the movie came out. Yes, that's true. And it didn't do real well either, but... No. Th- there was a Doc Savage movie? Yeah, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. You never saw it? Never, no. It, uh-huh. it's, Jesus, it's kind of um it's like highlander 2 we pretend it doesn't exist okay no, it's it's not it's not that bad it's it's a little bit silly but i don't think because they were trying to camp it up i think they were trying to write it legit but again nobody working on it really understood how pulp stuff worked right mm. so it's it's really entertaining but I wouldn't necessarily say it was good. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll trust you on that one. I'm not going looking for a copy. <laughs> I got one downstairs. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. Um, speaking of pulps, um, you ha- I noticed you have Fu Manchu on your list. I don't remember Marvel doing a Fu Manchu comic. They didn't do one exactly, but 1973 is when a uh, Master of Kung Fu comes out. It's got to be Master mm-hmm. of Kung Fu because yep. he's yep. a villain, right? So yeah. Well, yep. Sh- uh, Shang Chi's father was Fu Manchu in the comic. Yep, that Thank was the you whole for calling him with... Shang Chi because that's what I call him, and apparently that's not who he's called now. So now what's he called now? Now, now, now it's pronounced entirely differently. Didn't you see the movie, the new movie they had out? Well, okay, if we were properly pronouncing it in Chinese, it would be Shang Chi. 
That's instead, right. Instead, yeah. Of, yeah, be Shangchi. Yeah, that's Shang-Chi. what he should be called yeah, in Chinese. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I, I was always, I was as a kid. It, no one was there to correct me. It was Shang Chai, right? So oh, okay. I, I've never heard that one, but okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 No one, no one would correct you, right? So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it would. And yes, I knew that when I when I gave Don the leading question, which is that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Master of Kung Fu. Because I actually I've read them. I've read the early ones anyway. Not too long ago, I went on a little binge. And decided to read them. They're okay. I mean, they were done as a reaction to the kung fu movie craze. Yeah, Marvel never met yeah. a trend they couldn't jump on. <laughs> exactly. And this is the point where you know Times Square is basically filled with uh, cheap movie theaters showing you know cheap kung fu movies. At this point, um, it's just the kung fu craze is just getting into swing in the early seventies there, and um, following Bruce Lee, of course, and the rest. And that, so, so of course, they have to have this character that, yeah, every every issue is pretty much the same formula because, of course, he's like, you know, he discovers his father's a jerk, so he basically leaves. <laughs> and so every episode, his father sends another, like, uh, weird martial arts supervillain to go be, to try to go beat up his son and bring him back, and Shang-Chi kicks his butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the formula. And it literally just... Yeah, that's how it goes for a while. And he meets up with his father, his father's nemesis, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but he's like this really British guy. And he mm-hmm. basically becomes this, he becomes kind of his mentor, buddy or whatever. Uh, Shang-Chi becomes, uh, the British guy becomes Shang-Chi's mentor, kind of. And they battle against Fu Manchu's, like, legions of evil, basically, all across the world. Yeah. Nicholas, oh, what's it? What's his name? Damn it! No, that's gonna bug me. Anyway, whatever. I'll check later. Whatever. Regardless. So that was so again a tie-in and a fairly popular one. How, do you remember how long Shang Chi ran for? I don't remember offhand. Oh, was another one. It it went, ran well into the eighties, like. Yeah, I think it, so. It was one of those things that by far outlasted the trend it was based on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I, without a doubt. Um, he first appeared in Marvel Special Edition number fifteen, December nineteen or December uh, nineteen seventy three. Yep, there it is. And he would end up running, yeah, for a long time. I want to say eighty three or eighty four. Um, I'm just quickly looking it up. Looks like I've. Got references here to, I think it's 83. Yeah, 83. Wish you 125. Yep. June in 1983 is how long it lasted. So there you go. The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And yeah, it was actually, again, one of those forgotten ones. It was very popular in its time. Like yeah. people, people really love that comic. I, I read the first like dozen or so chapters because they got kind of repetitive. But I suspect <laughs> if I go back in, it probably finds its footing. In fact, I find... This is a trend that I noticed for a lot of these ones that are going to be on this list. And is that a lot of tie-in comics, you kind of get the feeling, now not all of them obviously, that the writers don't exactly know what to do with them at first. And yeah. so you're off, you often get a very base version of, now obviously this uh, Shang-Chi is a tiny bit different, but go, go with me on this one. Um, they, at first they're like, okay, we got this property, we got this character, so let's introduce them. So they do kind of an origin story. And then it's usually followed by a whole lot of issues of them floundering around doing almost random stuff where they're trying <laughs> to figure out how the heck to make this character work. And a lot of tie-in books die during this random floundering around stage. Um, but then the ones that get through that stage are the ones that will actually survive a long time. 
but there just seems to be this like floundering around stage that goes on. Um, we can talk about it later, but you know, Transformers, GI Joe, uh, Godzilla. You know, there's a a lot of the ones we're going to talk Star Wars. A lot of the ones we're going to talk about um, later on go through this like cycle, basically, this kind of floundering around stage, and because uh, they just really don't know what to do with them. Which again, I don't blame them because. You know, they can't really kill these characters off. They're kind of limited in what they can do with them in a lot of cases. I guess they had more freedom back in the day than they do would now. But at the same time, they're like, okay, what do we do? We've got a bunch of characters that can't really change, and they can't really do much with them. So they're... they're, Again, it varies. With Dracula, they could, because, of course, Dracula is public domain, right? And Shang-Chi let them do something a little bit different as well. But when we say get to something like... I'll give you an example. Planet of the Apes in 1974... Um, or was it 70, no, 77 for the comic? It's both. It's both. Okay. But when I think it's the 77 one that I've read, um, I've read the 77 one and you've read both. I, I, did I read both? Okay. It, it, I'll, I'll explain when you're done. It's really weird. But you've read both. <laughs> okay. There we go. Anyway, the Planet of the Apes comic is exactly this. It's the movie until, which a fairly good retelling of the movie I might add. And then it then it just kind of goes off into La La Land after a bit because it's like, okay, uh, Bob, you, you've you seen the movie, right? Write a, write a couple issues. Okay, Stan, you, you write a couple issues. Sid, okay, you're, you're on this month. It's like that's kind of what they do. And then that's a good example of one of those ones that I think flounders for a couple issues and then just dies. Yeah, you're you're right because what ends up – and this is going to come up. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned some – this is going to come up in the mid-70s. Right. Like in 76, we really start seeing it. Because they get the rights to do these things, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are very narrow. Right. And sometimes it works, because like a Conan story, he's what a lot of sword and sorcery is based on. So even though though the ideas of a Conan story are pretty narrow, you can still kind of do a lot with it. Yeah, yeah. You get to some... Like Dracula, they didn't do a retelling of like the story. They just used the character in the Marvel setting. Right. Because don't don't forget, Dracula at one point fights Howard the Duck. When <laughs> when when you get to stuff like you mentioned, Planet of the Apes, mm. you've got the movies, and then you're not sure what to do after that because the movies are very limited in scope. Right. But they're post-apocalypse, so they did all these different weird post-apocalypse stories. Um, the reason you read both was the 1974 one was the magazine. Oh, okay. And then in 77, they did the comic book, which are basically colorized versions of the magazine stories. That would explain a lot. The, the art was really nice. I was actually impressed by it, in fact. Well, they were re- yeah, they, yeah. they were good because you had at this point, the ones that succeeded, like you said, were the ones where the people working on it kind of started putting themselves into it. Mm, that yeah. it wasn't just a job. Because we talked about that with like the half-hour toy ads. Mm-hmm. You could tell which shows were just a slog for people because they were really bland. They were really typical. And then you could tell which shows were the ones where the producers weren't paying attention. So the people work on it just went nuts and did what they wanted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Which are usually the best ones. We'll get to one of those later on. Yeah. And that, and that's what, what the, them. The, the comics were. Because mm. Planet of the Apes, they didn't have a lot to go on. Because remember, the movies don't really match the book that they're based on. Right, yeah. In just the vaguest sense. And then the TV show, mm-hmm. it based on the movies, but only, again, in a really kind of vague way. And then the comic book is the same idea, that the comic book is a straight-up post-apocalypse story. Because they meet other species. Same thing when they did the uh, Planet of the Apes animated TV show. 
Mm-hmm. There's a whole big other subplot because they meet like apes and that from other colonies, not just Ape City. Oh, okay. Like there's these Tibetan monk apes that they, they run into who are actually working with the humans in this story because they don't, it's just the Ape City ones that hate and fear them. Wow. Okay. So the idea that you get with Planet of the Apes, some of the later Planet of the Apes adaptions do this as well. Um, one on the list that comes up that we're going to have to mention a special because there's a weird thing. But in 76, when Marvel does Logan's Run, mm-hmm. they kind of do the same thing where the TV show Logan's Run is the same idea where what we get in the movie, the City of mm-hmm. Domes, is just a tiny little single location. Same thing if you think the Planet of the Apes movies. Ape City might just be outside of New York and not like those apes don't have like a big spread. They're just a little tiny territory and anything else could be outside. Logan's run and Planet of the Apes could be in the same setting. Right. Yeah. Because because their post-apocalypse societies are always isolated. So and when they did Mm -hmm. the comics like the Planet of the Apes is pretty popular. And again, because they just did it like a generic like post-apocalypse i remember one of the stories they run into it's uh a team of scientists that mutated and are building like their own army to try to take over the world and it's got nothing to do with anything we saw in any of the movies or the original book but you can do that because again they just do like a post-apocalypse story hmm makes sense makes sense um okay and then so again this and that's the example of actually i think that's the first example on this list really of a movie tie-in is the planet of the apes one that they do yeah Yeah. um for for the 70s set i mean that we're talking there might have been another minor one or two but and leaving leading to that there was a 2000 now was the 2001 one that marvel did was that actually tied in meant to be tied in with the movie too in 76 ish What the 2001 comic did is there's kind of two versions. They did the comic okay. book and there's a treasury edition, which are the big giant oversized ones they used to publish. Mm-hmm. The first, I think, issue or two of the comic book is a retelling of the movie. But then the rest of the comic has nothing to do with anything. The idea of the comic was that you would see a character who either them or one of their descendants was meant to do something important. Okay. And at a critical point in their, uh, in, in their, their, their operation, basically the, 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 the monolith would contact them. And then that would give them the impetus or the knowledge or the, the inspiration to do their great thing. And then they would like kind of mutate and like travel off into the cosmos. Like the guy did with, becoming the uh the space baby in the original movie weird they really were and and each one was separate wasn't machine man connected with 2001 wasn't there a character yep. or something okay i wasn't the, i wasn't hallucinating that okay good no the last couple of issues of uh the com- the comic didn't last long it was like 10 issues i think mm-hmm. uh, the last couple introduced machine man that he's x51 i believe aaron stack he was a, a robot that was sentient, and all the other ones went nuts except him. Mm-hmm. And it's because the scientist that was monitoring his progress raised him like a kid, so he actually had the benefit of 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 you know basically a human childhood, right? And that inter- that was the introduction of Machine Man. Ah, so I wasn't wrong. Okay, good. All yeah, right. it's, it was it was a weird. It's 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 again. It's one of the comics I actually really liked. Mm-hmm. It's, but a, it's, it's is, a neat idea. 
Hmm. And it's it's really fucked up. It was uh, Jack Kirby at his cosmic best doing like the artwork in that. Now, I do know before we go any further, uh, um, you do have Electric Company in 74 on this list. Why is that one there? <laughs> I wondered about that myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty important because it's one of these things. It's a back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, The Electric Company was uh, Children's Television Workshop's sequel to Sesame Street. Yes. It was for slightly older kids, so like, say, between 5 and 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. Marvel gave them the rights to use Spider-Man in their show. Mm-hmm. So they had a dude dressed up like Spider-Man, and he, he didn't talk when, when he would do something, because the show was to teach kids how to like read and that. When he would talk, it would stop and they'd make these weird noises and like a word balloon would pop up over his head. Mm-hmm. And it was to encourage kids to read. And what they did to tie in with that, Marvel published a comic called Spidey Super Stories. Right. Which was a Spider-Man comic for younger kids. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. Yep. And it tied into the electric company. Yeah. I believe some of the characters did show up. I think like a Easy Reader, which was Morgan yeah. Freeman, and I think Jane of the Jungle showed up in Super, in the super Stories. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I remember yeah. that. I th- I have one of those. <laughs> yeah, this th- it's most famous. Just like I have a Beetle Bailey comic from those too. So. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah. same. The yeah. the Spidey Super Stories are famous for the issue where he fights Thanos, and Thanos has the Thanos copter. <laughs> right. It's. it's it's a helicopter with his name on the side. <laughs> so, and, and they were, like I said, they were, they were kind of silly. They were little, like they were made for kids. For like, right, yeah. for kids. Yeah. And, and it tied in with them letting the uh, children's television workshop use Spidey in their, their, uh, in the electric company show. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's an example of the synergy. It's kind of the first time where you really saw any kind of back and forth. Right, right. Yeah, with other media. But, yeah, like even going back to the Dell days, um, the companies like even Disney probably didn't, they didn't have somebody overseeing production. Right. They would probably check it out every now and then, making sure they're not doing anything against the character. Like they would have had a, a production Bible, but it, it wasn't like now where the companies working in corroboration would actually plan things out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. It was a fire and forget thing. This the electric company one is kind of the first time where you saw and again it was still that kind of fire and forget, but you were seeing the beginning of that back and forth. Right. For sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so multimedia approach instead of just one instead of here's the rights, just go do something with it. Yeah, because this was also the era in the early mid '70s. Superheroes were popular, not as comics, but as everything else. The beginning of that, yeah, exactly. And that's, you'd see toys like AHI put out the, uh, it was like superhero character. Well, they did everybody. They did all kinds of characters as like paratroopers. Mm-hmm. So you'd get like a figure of Superman with a parachute. And you're like, why does Superman have a parachute? But you know, whatever. It was just a, a toy. Nobody, there was, again, there was none of this planning. It was the same era where I think it was uh, ideal, mm-hmm. uh, did superhero utility belts. And they did like a Hulk one that has like the Hulk communicator. Oh, and yeah, stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you could find a bunch of those toys in there. Spider-Man with a light yep. and everything on it and everything. Yep, yep. Sure. Yeah. yep. A little spider light. Yep. I remember that thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it, it didn't make any sense character-wise, but they just, again, licensed the name yeah. and did whatever with yep. it. Yep, yep. All right, so let's move right along. So next on our list would be Wizard of Oz. 
Yeah, there's there's a catch. We talked about Logan's run. Mm. Oh, yes. Logan's run is an example of a back and forth, but in the opposite direction. Well, there was the movie, well, the book, and then the movie came out, and then they did a comic, but how did that interact? The television series. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. There was yeah. a TV series. I forgot, yeah. Yeah. Marvel had the rights. The comic ends with number seven. Mm-hmm. One to six are a retelling of the movie. Seven was an original story, at which point the, uh, oh, what company? Was it Paramount that had the, that owned the movie rights? I don't remember. Sorry. That they were the license it to Marvel. Marvel only had the rights to do an adaption. So that last issue with the new story, they didn't have the rights to. And that was why the book got canceled. Wait, so they came after them for doing one more issue? Because they said, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, MGM, actually. Metro Golden Mare. M- yeah. And, uh, yeah, they didn't have the rights to continue the story. They were only allowed to do the movie. Because ah, okay. remember, remember, we were we said at the beginning those were separate things that right, you right. could do adaptions and then you could do original stories, but they only had the rights to the adaption, and that's because issue seven is also, as I recall, the first appearance of uh, Thanos. Wait, what? Yeah, the backup story was. I think it was the first appearance. He steps on a flower. Uh, okay. There's technically more to it, but basically he wants to Thanos steps on the flower and makes somebody sad, and that was the story. And his career evil thus begins. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. You got to start somewhere. Okay. <laughs> then, yeah, then you got a snazzy helicopter. Then you got a snazzy helicopter. Okay, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> well, that's, that's he was working his way up. Um, yep. Eventually he got half the universe, so... Mm. All right, so so then why is Wizard of Oz in 76 also there? What happened with the Wizard of Oz is they want... Marvel was going to do an adaption. Mm-hmm. I believe it was an adaption of the right. movie. And they found out DC had the rights as well, and we're also doing mm-hmm. one. So they worked together, and they produced it as a joint Marvel-DC production. Weird. And this was also part of what led to, if you remember at the same time, they did crossover. Yeah, the Superman versus Spider-Man and, and well, the Hulk, Hulk and Batman. Hulk and Batman. Speaking, yeah. speaking of which, in my head, now that you've put those two things together, I'm seeing Dorothy landing on Thanos with a house and taking his glove. <laughs> and using it. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you so much. That would That would have been very interesting change. She would have ruled all of Oz with that glove. <laughs> I love the Eternity Gauntlet. It's exactly. so bad. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my darling wife had 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 a uh, had knit me one. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I still have it. I just I just boxed it away. It's you beautiful. have a giant knit Eternity oh. Gauntlet. That's right. Okay. And I made it left-handed for me because I'm a lefty. Oh. <laughs> Well, if you have the handedness stone, then it can be oh, that's very true. That's right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> the ambidextry tool. So that began the crossovers. Then that's that's weird. I had no idea that the Wizard of Oz that they did that. I know the crossovers were didn't last very long. They just did a couple of them, but that was still yeah, those were significant. Yeah, I think they did three. That's DC, right? DC. Yeah, DC, yeah, and DC Marvel. Marvel working together. DC so that's Superman versus Batman. Sorry, Superman, Spider-Man, right. Hulk, Batman, which never seemed like a fair fight then, to uh, me. I just looked at that and said, you know, that never worked yeah. for me. Oh, Bat- Batman takes the Hulk out in one point. With gas, probably, or something like that. Yeah, it's knockout gas, but to get the Hulk to inhale, he like does this super like 
awesome martial arts kick to his solar right. plexus. Uh, and then when the Hulk gasps from it, he breathes in the gas and gets knocked oh, okay. out. And Muhammad Ali jumps. Oh, in. yeah, the Muhammad Ali one, too, yes. <laughs> Muhammad Ali versus Superman. Yes. That was a good one, too. <laughs> Which is interesting, because that means they're all part of the same universe. That's right. Because <laughs> that's that was the DC Marvel crossovers. They also did uh, the Teen Titans and yes, the X-Men. Yes, they did. Yep. That was actually pretty good. And that was a good the, one, actually. Dark Horse yeah. took over all of that, like, 20 years later, with all of their... You know, Batman versus Predator and Batman versus, yeah, yeah. you know, aliens and stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of those. Judge Dredd versus Predator and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, they, they, that was that, yeah, like the, the 90s, that was, that was a, another kind of big wave mm-hmm. of that. Yep. And again, it was that same idea because people were seeing the value of licensing things out. So they did. The, mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. Okay. So, speaking yeah. of licensing things out, 1977 Star Wars Marvel Comics yeah. Star Wars which again is a beautiful example of what I mentioned earlier let's tell the story of the movie with really odd art and then uh, and very huge comic yeah. I have the original that's the treasury edition it's like an oversized comic yeah. like yeah, well, big yeah because they did it was uh, the first six issues of the, the regular comic are the, the uh are the movie and then the treasury editions that you're talking about i think there were two of them i think um there was a part one and two i don't think the original treasury one was the full story oh, okay yeah because six issues so probably three issues a pop for the treasuries that would make sense it, yeah it, don't hold me to that i might be because that was another one that they did like a billion different versions of it they they just kept reprinting it in different mm-hmm. forms yep because it was so popular yeah um, so yeah, and again, so they we get, you know, okay, so they do Star Wars, and then they promptly did the Magnificent Seven, yeah, in space. That's with, what the uh, second story is with uh, Sergio Aragonese leading them. Exactly, Sergei X. Yeah, yep. there we go. <laughs> wow. Sergei Aragonis X. Yeah, I was just looking at that the other day, actually, in preparation for this. It's like, uh huh, okay, guys, because again, they had these characters, but they didn't really have the permission to really do anything exactly with them. Like, they could have them run around and do stuff, but they were kind of limited in what they could do. So they tended to just have the characters go places and meet other characters that were original that they could do stuff with. Yeah. There was one rule they had is that the uh, main characters couldn't meet Darth Vader. Oh, right. They couldn't, could they? Yeah. Like, uh, Lucas declared that. One of the reasons the uh, first few comics, like the, the movie adaption, is so weird is because... They didn't technically adapt the movie. They were working from an earlier script. Right, yeah. And that's why the comic has Biggs in it. Right. And he goes, to, when he goes, Luke goes to Anchorhead. Mm-hmm. And some, some of the things like Wookiee is spelled different. Well, how is it spelled in the comic? Do you remember? I think it's with an I. Oh, okay. W-O-K-I? K-I-E. Well, isn't it, isn't that the proper spelling for Wookiee? Yeah, is it in Wookiee? W O O K E E. Really? Or maybe it was the other way around that they didn't have the I. But there's mm-hmm. the 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 first or second issue. They they it's spelled different. And it's because it was off the script. Because it was off the script. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like the radio plays. Oh, the, the yeah. radio plays they well were based off the original script. So they so they could do something different with it. So that's why you got the whole Luke and Anchorhead and all that stuff, or Biggs and Anchorhead routine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, the Star Wars did run for a long time, though. If I remember, it ran until, what, about Return of the Jedi came around? 
eighty no well after eighty five eighty six hundred issue one hundred and seven is the last one one hundred and seven so they did work out their own mythology I mean mm-hmm. yeah that that was our Star Wars back then right we didn't have any yeah. we had the movies and we had that basically yeah because they continued after Return of the Jedi I think is like issue issue like sixty right and, and then they, they can just continue yeah. Because that's the uh, that's the same time you get to see Lando Calrissian cosplaying as a uh, Captain Harlock. I would have to look. I would have to look that one up to see it. Okay. It, look up. I believe it's Captain Dreeble was the name he went by. <laughs> right, but he's Captain Harlock. Okay. Oh, he's Captain Harlock. <laughs> he's Captain Harlock with a mustache. Or so, because one of the, I think it was. Um, I think it was Dark Horse later on when they did it. Did the story of who this Captain Dreeble he was imitating was. Right. Yeah, it's one of the infamous things. That and Jackson. That Jackson. Marvel run. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the Green Rabbit guy. Yeah. Everyone loves the Green Rabbit guy. Jack. I mean, he's one of those characters that I'm actually astonished that they haven't tried to bring him back, actually. But it, beyond being a toy, obviously. Are we talking about Captain Rabbit? The big, the, the Jack, yeah, he's, he's, he's a, he's a captain, Jackson. He's a lepus oh, no. carnivorous. Oh, no, 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 no that's thinking, different. Captain Rabbit, captain Rabbit is a superhero O'Hare. character. So Captain, Captain Carrot, sorry, Captain Carrot. Oh, yes. yeah, no, that's, that's totally different. Oh, that's Jackson. totally different, yeah. I don't know Jackson, yeah. Jackson was, uh, they added him in, in the, uh, yeah, like in the Magnificent Seven story. He was being yeah. chased by a bounty hunter called Fudd. Yep. <laughs> That gives you any idea where they were going with this. Yep. He, yeah, he's a he's a green Jackson, by the way, is spelled J A X X O N if anyone wants to look it up. Right. Yeah. Um so he's he's partners with Amaza, who's a uh she was like a stripper that ended yep. up uh taking over a band of pirates. Yep. And then they all they all got killed by the Emperor, and that was like she was working with the rabbit. Oh, yep. I remember I I remember him as Jax. That was they called him short oh, right? Yeah. yeah. That was a. That's another Roy Thomas, and I think Howard Chaikin. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> creation. Please. Yes, oh. yep. It's the two of them. Yeah, that's it all right. goes it back to Roy Thomas. Oh my God, he's six degrees of Kevin Bacon. In- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in Marvel, he is. Roy Thomas yep. wrote on almost everything at one point or another. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. He was one of those like ultimate fill-in guys. Yeah. Um, now, basically, he is the Bronze Age. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. He is pretty much. Yeah. Mm. yeah no, oh my no, God! No, they're officially bringing back Jackson. There you go. They yeah, are? they've done it. They've done As it. He March twentieth shows... this year. They're they're saying Smuggler Jackson's coming back on a mission to Endor with C three PO. Yeah, he he shows up. There's I think it was a Star Wars Rebels. There's Wait, a, a. He is. There's like. Oh, wow. No, I have to check. I've seen Rebels. I don't remember Jackson popping up, but okay. No, there, there's like a crashed ship, and there's like a, a skeleton with rabbit ears wearing his red outfit. In the oh, outfit. yeah, I would have <laughs> missed that background. one. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Because presumably there's more. He's Lepus Carnivorous is what they called him in the first one. He's He's got a new official name that they came up with in like the early 2000s, late right. 90s, mm-hmm. for his species. Because the game... I think both games, I think the D6 one and the D20 one added him like in his species to the uh, to the canon. Oh, but wow. they called him something different. He's in Star Wars 1978, 9, 10, 11, 16 and 108 in the original Marvel series. Wow. Yeah. 
And then apparently he's mentioned in the Clone Wars episode guide for some reason. Yeah, he's okay. There's there's a there's a lot of stuff like those those Mar- the Marvel Star Wars ones I actually still really like. And there was a lot of stuff like uh, Baron Pag, mm-hmm. I believe, ends up becoming semi-official. And uh, Valance the Bounty Hunter is official now. They have brought him back in different forms. Right. Yeah. No, no, I, be- but don't- I believe it. Well, Marvel owns both, right? So they can. So there's no. There's actually no nothing stopping them at this point from using these characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because people for the Marvel comic, uh, just at the. Uh, Empire Strikes Back area where uh, Walt Simonson joins up. Mm-hmm. And that was where he was also doing like the newspaper version. That's what a lot of people consider to be the high point because that was, you got more serious stories and they had more continuing stuff and more character because that was the Shira Bree era and that. Right. And a lot of people consider that the high point, but I actually like the earlier stuff because again, it had that nice like over the top pulp action hero feel to mm-hmm. it. Okay. I can totally see that. All right, so we got lots to get through, so let's move right along. So I noticed in 77 you also got HB Books. I'm assuming that's Hanna-Barbera Books Marvel started publishing. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, Marvel did a bunch. And and this ties in with the idea that, like we said, comic books were in trouble. Mm -hmm. And they were starting that idea. I think Marvel was looking for how to bring in the new generation, and that's why they went HB Mm. Because Star Wars is the comic book that saved North American comic books. It was. Really? It's, yeah, it sold so well that it, it brought more people into reading comics. Oh, okay. I could, well, yeah, it started a new comic fantasy craze by itself, so that makes sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then the Hanna-Barbera ones didn't last long. Um, I remember reading an editorial. This is like, again, late 70s. I remember reading an editorial. I forget who it was. Did it it might have been Harlan Ellison, don't hold me to that. Mm-hmm. But it was like a science fiction novelist or critic that was talking about Marvel Comics, and again, this is Bronze Age, and they were really upset by all of like, you know, how they were defaming the heroes and it was all about like they're all like alcoholics and drug users and the same stuff you hear every couple years mm-hmm. from like the oldster fans. Because he talked about that, one of the characters they did was Dynomutt. The Dynomutt cartoon hadn't come out when it was announced mm-hmm. yet. He was a new character, because I remember the editorial, the guy writing it, said something to the effect of, maybe this Dynomutt fellow, when they introduce him, they can make him a heroin addict to add depth. And, yeah, no, it was just straight up Marvel doing Hanna-Barbera stuff for a little mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Like I say, it only lasted a couple years. They, they did a ton of them, and it, it wasn't super popular. Okay. Makes sense. All right, so we should move on to what was probably, I think, might have been the first Marvel comic book I actually ever collected in 1977, Marvel's Godzilla. <laughs> I think that Godzilla. that might have been. Which, you know, I just went back, again, prep for this episode, I just went back and read the first couple issues because, of, you know, something I was actually kind of surprised by how well written it actually is. I mean, it's got... It, Who wrote it? It, um, you know? it was written by... Hold on a sec. I will bring it. It was written by Doug Mensch and our artist Herb Tripp. And they were the team that yeah. did, I think, most of it, if not all. I think they did all of it, actually. I think they did all, like... Yeah, Doug's another good. really good writer. He did a lot of great Batman in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, sure. you, you know, cool. and the thing that fascinates me most about re- going back and reading... A, a, um, 
A, it's how tied in with the Marvel Universe it is. Like, literally every possible tie-in they've possibly... Because he's... he's <laughs> They basically are using S.H.I.E.L.D. as the science patrol from Ultraman. They're just using them as a replacement science patrol. And... Wow. Because, you know, because Godzilla... They, Godzilla... You know, they wake, wakes up in the Arctic base and he starts working his way across down the, down the West Coast. And so they're fighting... So and, and S.H.I.E.L.D. is fighting him using all these really toy-rific, like... Go back and look at it. Basically, here's the thing: if you go back and look at the Godzilla thing, and I'm telling people to do this, actually, if you can find, you can find copies of it online, PDFs of it online. Go look, go look at. Shield in that thing is using all these really weird freakout vehicles, and I was looking at them, going, yeah. "These look really familiar." And then I realized almost all of them will become GI Joe toys in a couple years. In about four or five years later, oh. most of those designs will be our you. I'm looking at the that's Cobra, that's the Cobra battle platform, that's that, that's that. They all they just look like a bunch of like mostly Cobra G.I. Joe vehicles from later on. It's like, oh look, they're in Cobra Battle Pods. Go back and look at it. They are. They never did the Blockbuster though. That was my favorite. The Blockbuster has gotta be what did you ever read the the, the uh, Godzilla, Jack? Did you ever read the Marvel Godzilla? No, I I, I remember seeing it, but I, I I wasn't as big a monster fan as oh, you guys were. Oh, I yeah. I love them. Um, they played them for some reason around like lunchtime when I was a kid. Uh, and oh, you're so talking about I, the Hanna Barbera Godzilla. No, no, no. I'm talking oh. about the actual original. Oh, the, oh movies. No, the movies. Oh, the movies. They okay. They would play right. them at lunchtime when I was I my parent my mm-hmm. mom would would. It, delightful thing she did so what my best friend was jim blacklock hey jim and Mm -hmm. um back in the day and i would i would at lunchtime walk to his his mom's house and get a hot meal my mom would pay for me to have a hot meal Mm. at jim's place because they were friends they they grew up together my mom and and her and, and his mom and so they had rough and ready and then sometimes they actually had like you know Godzilla movies and and Mothra and stuff like that on mm. as well. So I was only getting parts parts of them, so I never really got into the whole thing because I could right. never find them any other time. So yeah. okay, no, no, because what, what Don's talking about is there's there's a couple issues in they get there's a point where they're trying to get Godzilla out of a city. It's Seattle, if I remember right. They're trying to get him out of Seattle, and they manage mm-hmm. to lure him using lights out of the city. And they're like, okay, we've got him to this, like, Oceanside Cliff, but he's like, yeah, I'm not going there. And then he turns around, and they have this giant slingshot <laughs> with giant, literal, gi- these gigantic bricks, basically, that they loaded into wow. it. And they just, that's the blockbuster. And they're just firing these giant bricks at him, and that's how they knock him over the, uh, over the cliff and get him to leave Seattle. It's this like it's it, it is the most toyrific thing. It's like it's almost like um you know the Herb Trimp there was basically like okay I'm sure they're gonna make toys of these things so I'm gonna make every issue I'm gonna put a toy in based something you could make into a toy in here so that when they make it I'll get lots of money from this or something because uh, God, God knows or they'll buy the designs or something because that's basically what he's doing it's just like this and every issue it's like or and or story there's this like new weird shield vehicle they've got in there it's like mm-hmm. what the hell um the stories themselves are actually fairly on the level of most of the movies of the time well maybe a little better actually probably better um but yeah mm-hmm. i actually appreciate it a lot more it's funny as a kid i was always like oh you know there's no really cool monsters in this it's like godzilla versus like a bunch of like you know wimpy american monsters there's no rodan or anything like that so i wasn't that impressed by it except for Red Ronin, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, now as an adult, I read them and go, oh, yeah, okay. I see what he was doing. No, this is actually pretty good. It, it, it was actually surprisingly well done. 
Um, yeah, so I, I really like the, the Marvel Godzillas. I'm going to go back and read the whole set when I get the chance. Um, cool. No, no, if, and if, you, if anyone does, I, you, the only thing that bugs the hell out of me is that the Godzilla is incredibly off-model. Like, apparently they supposedly yeah. did the... There's an editorial in the one, because I was reading the editorials, that says, well, you know, we kind of did that on purpose to make it more distinctive. And I'm like, no, that's just like you had no model sheet and you're just making this shit up as you go along. I firmly believe that that, like, that Godzilla design looks nothing like Godzilla. Nothing. Wow. Well, actually, actually, you know what it looks what? like? It looks like the Aurora model. Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Because that... that look that more uh square-headed tyrannosaurus look for godzilla yeah. a lot of western things around that time had that look because i remember um i won one of those big velvet fluorescent light posters of godzilla and it was that same thing it was that more squared off head instead of like the round blunt oh, one that he would have had yeah at the time. yeah because that bugged me as a kid too because i gained huge godzilla fan at the time it's like why does he look so ugly what's what's up with this um yeah because yeah. The Hanna-Barbera one looks more like that one, yeah, too. Yeah, he does. It's that same idea. Well, uh, the Hanna-Barbera one, I would argue, is more of a kind of like, it's a kind of halfway in between the Japanese one and that one. I would argue that one's more extreme. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so now I've got a really interesting question. Let's, I, if, unless you have something else to say about Godzilla, Don, do you? Or... No, the only thing that I think to keep in mind was... The licensing was weird because Marvel had the rights to Godzilla. Yes, you should mention period. this. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's why none of the other monsters show yeah. up or none of the other characters. Because they oh. only had the rights. And that's why I think HB was the same. And that's why the stories don't follow any of the continuity of the original Japanese ones. Because they really weren't allowed. Right. No, and that makes sense. I mean, the original story they do, except for Godzilla fighting cattle wrestlers, um, was generally... <laughs> which he does. Um, at one point, because I think they just took a Hulk story. And basically, it's, in fact, sometimes it does feel kind of like as the book goes on. It kind of feels like... Yeah, they're just taking Hulk stories and swapping Godzilla in instead. You know, with the wandering monster. So it's so it's like Hulk would fight cattle rustlers, so Godzilla will just fight cattle rustlers. Okay, sure. Now I can hear the music <laughs> playing at the end of every comic. Dun 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 dun. Godzilla's on the road hitching a ride. Dun It should be noted that this is also the period where Marvel was actively trying to make deals with Japan and with Japanese companies. So this is also the period where, you know, uh, they make the deal with Toei. And this is why Toei, basically Toei decides to make its Avenger, live action Avengers TV series in Japan, which Jack's going, what? They did? And the answer is not exactly. Um, they made something called Battle Fever J. Where, where they, <laughs> Battle Fever J. That's what they called it because the, the idea of being Battle, because wow. the main character is Battle Fever Japan, kind of. That's, that's what Battle okay. Fever so it, it was meant to be the Avengers, but they didn't have the budget or anything like that. So they have like, it's, it's actually Miss America and Battle Japan and Battle Kenya and... And Battle Cossack. And Battle, Battle Cossack, Cossack the, the Russian uh, guy. And it's yeah. basically, now and this is where things get interesting. It's considered the first Sentai or Power Rangers series. Because even though they don't look like that at that point, it will evolve into that a couple of series later. So it's the beginning. And another fun fact for, of course, for everyone is that this is also where the spider, the Supaidaman, the Japanese series comes from, <laughs> that some of you may have seen wandering around the internet, um, is also a result of this tie-in with Toei and part of this attempt to do the Japanese-American synergy thing. And of course, Supaidaman yeah. is the very first Toei series that has, where the main character has a giant robot. 
There's 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 your other fun fact. It's the fa- it's the first series where the main character pilots a giant robot in live action. All the yeah. other ones before that, they would have like like Johnny Sacco, they would have a robot that they would control, but they'd be outside saying, "Robot, go kick his ass." And that's what they do. But Spider-Man piloted a giant robot and he was the first. So, if it was if it, <laughs> if it wasn't for this Marvel, you know, Japan deals, we wouldn't we would we wouldn't have gotten that stuff or Sentai actually. There would be no Power Rangers. Um but anyway, weird, weird trivia aside. So yeah, they were trying to go back and forth, and we'll get to another one of those in a few minutes. But anyway, but here's one that I'm really curious about. That's on your list, Don. Let's let's move on for a moment. Then is the human fly? Oh yeah. The- oh, the human fly. I think I have one of those comics too somewhere. Jesus, Murphy. <laughs> yeah, Marvel has like three different ones. Like the main one is uh, the fly is a Spider-Man. Right, yes, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, right. Yep. Uh, the one they put out in 77 which is the guy in like the red outfit with the white like mm, piping that's on the it. one i have yeah he's like a, he's yeah. like a stuntman yeah he's modeled after a real guy yeah 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 um is he cool. was he uh uh gay or something because you've got a little note here that uh, i maybe i'm reading it wrong the, you know it's it <laughs> you can't read my right i because it's the i marked it to be the oh, hero okay. so, so it doesn't, so it doesn't say homo. okay <laughs> No, it's <laughs> Although he he might have been, I mean, he wasn't. He, he might have been. Long. That's true. Yeah, he he could have been actually. He was. That's what they called them back then. So I just want to make sure, you know, at that time. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's, it's, it's hero. hero. Okay, I can't read but your writing. It was a weird costume, if I remember correctly. The, like the the, yeah. the fly wings were kind of off putting. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it was it wasn't he. Yeah, he had like it was like a weird cape that yeah. was kind of wings, but kind of. And I think the real guy wore that outfit a couple times. Oh, really? I can't remember his name, but yeah, he was famous for like climbing stuff. Yeah, like I think he, I think he climbed like the Sears Tower in New York at one point and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that. He was one of those. He was like Evil Knievel, that, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. You can yeah. actually see him interviewed as <laughs> Rick Rojat, nineteen seventy six. That's his name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep, the human fly, Daredevil, Rick Rojat. You, there's a YouTube video. We can link to it in the show notes. Two stunts and a comic book series. Yep. That's like five seasons in a movie or yeah, something like that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> or six seasons in a movie, what do they say? Oh, and that's and the comic book series was written by Boy, Bill Mantlo. That's oh. not a surprise. Jill Kane, or Gil, Gil Kane and Len Wayne. So there you go. That's okay. not a surprise because Bill Mantlo, whose name will become important part of this podcast in just a moment um will yep. was kind of known as their uh he was like a young guy was kind of like their what their super fast fill-in writer is what they called him i was reading about him where right. basically because mm-hmm. they would often like they'd have marvel comics that came in you know late or the artists were late and they literally would have to throw they need all these fill-in stories and bill was the guy that would get to do all the fill-in stories uh, that was that was kind of his. Mm-hmm. That's how he cut his teeth with Marvel. Is the guy as he could just whip these scripts out that people liked, and the artist would just whip them off, and that's how they would make their deadlines. And so Bill and Bill, so Bill Mantlo. Okay, yeah, I can see that. The Gokin part's a bit of a surprise, but okay, Bill Mantlo. Huh. Oh, Gokin was the artist, obviously. But yeah, yes, huh. yeah. Human fly carrier. Okay, yeah. There's there's more than one, but yeah, you, I, there's the visual of him riding on top of the human fly jet. Is that that says the human fly on the side of that thing? <laughs> it, yeah, could very well be. Like I say, it's it's like you say, evil yeah. can evil was popular. There were a bunch yeah. of these guys that at yeah, the he's time. He's an evil can evil copy, basically, or maybe can evil is a copy of him. I don't know, whichever. Yeah. 
uh, Evil came first. Yeah, that, Evil that, came that, first. I think it was like early seventies, wasn't he, or late sixties? Evil. He I started think, off. I think very, very late sixties. Yeah, yeah, because he's gonna he's gonna actually show up in a, in okay, a couple, yep, yep. couple minutes. <laughs> And there yep. were toys. A friend of mine yep, had an yep. evil Knievel toy with it, like the whole motorcycle that could yep, jump yep. and everything like yep, that. There we go. Yeah. And so, but and of course, uh, we should talk about one of the most important items on this list: Kiss, nineteen seventy-seven. Yep. yep. They meet Howard the Duck. Which now the funny the funny thing is when you're looking at this, this means that the human fly and Kiss and Godzilla they're all part of the regular Marvel at that universe. Time anyway, yes, enough. yeah. Um, it's been yeah. retconned a few times, uh, but but yeah, they're all part of the regular. Oh, yeah. Well, of course they have Kiss. I mean, you know they got they've got Rock, you know, and they'd have the Human Fly because they've got stuntmen, and they got Godzilla because and they yeah. and they show up in the snow globe at the end of Saint Elsewhere too, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they did. Um, it all connects. It all connects. Oh, actually, you know, here's, here's a weird thing. Actually, going back to Godzilla for just one second. Okay, because I, I found in the first issue of Godzilla, okay, they, so in the original Godzilla movies, mm-hmm. of course, you know, the, America, the American atomic bomb tests unleashed Godzilla, okay? In the American comic book, mm-hmm. it's Japanese atomic tests that unleashed Godzilla. Godzilla is, is unleashed by the Japanese, <laughs> not the Americans in the, in the American comic. It's kind of like, well, it's your own damn fault. That's the that's the attitude. <laughs> I always thought it was the Japanese test. There you go. So I was uh, the propaganda <laughs> yeah. hit me. Well, the too. Japanese never did nuclear so tests. They go. never had nukes. But somehow yeah. the Japanese did in the Marvel universe because they're the ones who unleashed it. So there you go. All right. So yes, Kiss popped up because Gene Simmons was everywhere, and so was Kiss at that time. And Kiss was yes. just a little bit popular. Yeah. Right. The the kiss the kiss thing is important because it ties in with something you don't think nobody realizes, but we'll get to that in a minute too. But the kiss one is weird because they did um they show up. It was the first Marvel mm-hmm. Super Special, I believe was was the first right. kiss solo story. Uh, Marvel Super Special was another magazine sized book they did, and that was where mm-hmm. they did a lot of these movie tie ins. And a kiss couple versus of them, the fans. Was that yeah. before or after the comics? I think that was after because okay. Marvel Super Special, I believe it's one and four mm-hmm. were kissed. They were new stories because you find out their origin that this guy named Iggy, <laughs> who's a, a cosmic being on, on roller skates, an old like doughy middle aged guy, gives them these like like mystic symbols and that's where their powers come from. And they have like powers. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Because in it's the first or the second story that they're being chased by Dr. Doom because he wants to get these amulets from them to harness the, the power of rock mm-hmm. for his own evil purposes. Of power of rock. <laughs> because that's just how the set is. And famously, when they printed the first super special, uh, the members of the band had blood drawn that was mixed into the ink. Oh, okay. That was like a famous publicity song. Because, again, this was at the time, remember, Kiss stood for Kids in Satan's Service because it was part of the whole satanic Right, thing. right, right. That's that's pretty. So, wait, so you've got Gene Simmons or Paul Stanley's blood mixed in if you have a copy of the Super Special? Yeah, you've presumably got all wow, of them. Wow, that's yeah. pretty. Wait, wait so if I, and someone had a copy of the Super Special, they could clone Kiss. They could, they could use the DNA extractor. And, oh, my God, that's, that's holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Bum, bum. That's, that's astounding. <laughs> my mind is blown. Anyway, so they would really be an army. You can have a yeah, clone yeah, you army. Have, of okay, kiss. There we go. You have the kiss army. 
Literally. That's a, who knows? Maybe there was. Um, we got to stop yeah, but, doing these, Rob, or we're going we're gonna to go spinning off into all kinds of interesting stories. Yes, yes, we are. But that's half the fun of talking about this stuff. All right. Yeah. So now let's get to the crown jewel of this list. Um, so I'll tell you a quick story. So yesterday I was, um, I had a little time, so I was going through and I was reading all these comics and I was going through and reading a lot of these, you know, some of the ones we're going to get to, some of the ones we've already talked about. And, you know, my, I was just kind of bleary eyed, you know, after a couple hours of going through, just reading the first couple issues of each of these comics, just kind of refresh my memory before we talked about this. Um, and then I got to this one from 78, you know, my brain is like, I'm, Blitzed. Okay, I'm like, I never want to read, I, you know, I'm, I can't read another comic, but I'm going to look at this one day. I'll just look at the first couple pages. I read the first six or seven issues of it because it's so freaking great. Like all the fatigue just went away and suddenly I just wanted to just wanted to keep reading it because it is such a crown jewel. It is literally like I would argue it's one of the best things Marvel put out in the 70s. Easily. Um, and mm-hmm. the, my two co-hosts know what I'm talking about. Now I'm going to let the audience in on one. I'm talking about the Micronauts. Or which could also be Bill Mantlo's Star Wars, whichever you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it is. Ju- it was just so well done. Like it really was. He like you could tell that this was a story that a guy had absolute passion for, and he was filled with energy and dreams, and probably seen Star Wars. And yeah, he just was like, yeah, I'm gonna do my you know my science fiction science fantasy saga, and this is gonna be awesome. And it really was. And of course, and he was teamed up with who was uh, was it Herb Trimp who was doing the art on that thing? That, Michael, uh, Michael Golden, yes, and he had Michael Golden doing the yeah. art and the art, yes, and the art's gorgeous and like it's literally it's this small bit of, of you know of comic book sci fi perfection that came out this time. And I, I you know, the scary thing is I'm not overselling it. I don't think either of my co-hosts will say that I'm overselling it at all. It really is. It's it's yeah. an amazing piece of work. It really is. So if anyone has not read the original 1978 Micronaut series, go and find it. Really, go find it. Uh, I don't think there's any collections out, so you'll probably have to go find, you know, PDFs or something of it. Um, but maybe, maybe there are. I haven't looked recently. But if you can find it, I highly recommend. Um, and the story goes, of course, since I might as well tell it, that uh, Bill Mantlo, uh, his, it's either he got them for or whatever. His kid got some Micronauts for uh, for Christmas in 1970. It would be probably 77, I guess. Christmas 77. Yeah. And he looked at the characters and said, I can make stories about these things. And so he did. And then he convinced his boss, Jim Shooter, I think it was at the time, or whoever was the boss at the Marvel probably, head yeah. editor, to basically say, yes, yeah. you know, we can get the rights to this. So they did. And the rest is history. All right, gentlemen, take over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Micronauts is still one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. comics. It's another example that what ends up happening, uh, we've mentioned it before, but for anybody who hasn't listened, the Micronauts toys were, Mego got the rights to a thing called Microman out of Japan, and it was a set of toys. The Japanese ones had a whole big backstory to them. Uh, Mego got them. They didn't really include much of a story at all. They actually added characters to them. They did their own toys and that. It was super popular. It came out just before Star Wars, like just like a couple months. Yep. It takes it takes off. Marvel gets the rights. If you read the comic, it only loosely connects to the toys. They kept some of the names. They kept some of the imagery in that. But they really did do their, their own complete, own almost whole cloth story mm-hmm. to them. 
And it was another one. It took off. It was one of their top books for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I believe it. I believe. And it was soon. I mean, there's even uh, Micronauts and the X-Men. They were actually, they actually teamed them up with other Marvel heroes. Yeah. The thing that I didn't realize, because like I said, I wasn't a superhero fan. The Micronauts comics, they meet all kinds of other Marvel characters. And when I was a kid reading them, I had no idea who these other characters were. That was the same experience I had with Godzilla. Like, I, I had no idea who these, this Tony Stark guy was when I read Godzilla because it was my first Marvel comic. I had no idea that, mm. this, okay, this, he's a business guy and he builds Red Ronin. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, I had no idea who Tony <laughs> about Iron Man or any of that back then. So, so mm. similar experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so was Micronauts one of your first Marvel comics then, Don? Uh. Technically, no, because like I said, I read all like the monster. Oh, you read the monster. Okay, yeah. But it was the first comic that I'd say I followed mm-hmm. because it was a continuing story. Right. Like up until then, everything I read would have been self-contained. Right. right. No, no, that, that makes sense. Did you ever read the Micronauts, Jack? No, I'm so upset. I mean, I have, I have one comic, like seven or something like that, and it and I didn't continue it because I'm like I don't know what's going on, right? And no. I don't recognize any of these characters because I had the toys, right? Right. And so I'm like, this this doesn't make any sense to me. And I and and maybe it was number three even. I'll have to go back and take a look. But I do have like one of the very very early ones, right? And 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 I didn't bother buying more because I said I'm already lost, and I was you know young at the time. But I. I I I really wish now I'm gonna have to go looking for them. Torrent, sorry, yeah, yeah, something yeah. in my chest. <laughs> yeah, well, the... I have to go looking for them now to go reread them yeah. because, as as we talked about, this is another connection to Bill Mantle. Yep, yep. Um, he's one of my favorite comic book writers, probably because of of this and of something else. We'll talk. Yeah, about. and and both both of which are amazing, and I think he teamed them both up. I'm not sure if he teamed them both up, but at one point too, um, I think he did actually. But but yeah, the Micronauts was. It, I can see why because it really is one giant story. It's basically like each mm, each, yeah. each issue is basically like a chapter of a novel. It really is. It, right. it, and that was another unique thing he was doing. They let, just let him do that, and he, so he was just yep. telling this giant story, and they, that's how it plays out. I mean, there are little story arcs and things like that. But yeah, no, I'm not surprised you yeah. were confused. I I similarly back when I was a kid, I only had like one or two issues of it that I'd accidentally come across in the bargain bin, and it looked neat, so I read some. But I didn't read it back in the mm-hmm. day. I read. I would read it much later on. But but yeah, no, no, it's. Um, again, he and Mike Golden were just like, and I think, I don't know if Golden stayed for the whole run for art wise. I don't think he did, but I, but Bill Mantlo, mm-hmm. I believe did for the whole run. Wow. Yeah. Michael Golden stayed for, um, I think like the first right. one. Okay. Cause it goes like 50 issues. Uh, yeah, I think it's more than 50. Cause it's, it's, if you mm-hmm. read it, it's kind of written in arcs. So like the first say 10 issues are like one story okay yeah and then it gets resolved and then like the next eight issues are one story and then that's kind of how the micronauts comic was Uh, 59 issues there were 59 issues i just looked it up yep yep that makes sense Mm -hmm. and you're right it doesn't look like they have a volume collection of them which to me like there's a whole bunch of different volume collections of various ones but they're much later versions of the micronauts they're not like the originals yep but i guess there's in in the mid '80s, Marvel did put out. It was a, a five issue collection. Okay, and it's the orig- It's the first story arc, but those again. That's that was still like 40, 30 something years ago right, that they yeah. did that. Mm. So there, you're 
and because of copyright issues and everything else, God knows if there will ever be. But then again, we are getting one of Bill Mantlow's other great epics coming up soon that nobody thought we would ever get either. So, you know, maybe the maybe the Micronauts will turn up. I, I, haven't, I actually haven't looked to see yeah. if there's a collection out. Maybe there is one that I'm not aware of, but I don't think there is. Um, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure there's not. I, I, I just took a quick look, and I couldn't find anything that suggested that the original series was out. Yeah. These are the, the ones that were coming, like, things in the... The yeah, there were other follow-ups, but you don't don't bother yeah. with here. Nobody bother with any of those. The only one you want to read is the original Marvel Micronauts from 1978. Yeah, nothing else Micronaut, including Micronauts: The New Voyages, which is the sequel series Marvel did. You don't want to read that either. You just want to read the original Micronauts because that's that's the great saga. Um, <laughs> Actually, New New Voyages is mm -hmm. really good. But it's again, it's it's very different. It was written with an entirely different mm -hmm. mindset right. from the original. Wow! So it's re it's really good. But if you're looking for it to be a follow up, it's not mm. quite. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The remember the original one. The original one has that Star Wars '70s energy to it. That just it just it just pops. Yeah. It really does. Um, whereas. So who wrote the afterwards? Who took took up the mantle? Mantlo. Of it, uh, we would have to check, but I'm bum. Uh, hold on, I will tell you. Um, uh, yeah, because he was on our uh, show. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? That he was on, yeah. So, in yeah. other words, we're talking about Peter B. Gillis. Yep, he's actually oh, cool. been on the podcast. Yeah, he talked about that. Yeah, that was that was a great yeah. show. Yeah, I, I remember about that because yeah. after I after he was on, I did go back and read some of them, and it's like, yeah, he doesn't, he, he did a good job, but it's very different than the original. It very, very different. Yeah, yeah, because. The, the original is it's an action series and then the new voyages it's philosophical yeah that's a good way to describe like it. there's which is there's not oh, yeah, sorry, i was gonna go say ahead. probably one of the reasons only lasted 20 issues yeah well they did a, he they did a good job of wrapping up the story yeah, that's true like it does provide an end for the 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 micronauts and it does a pretty good job of of wrapping everything up in this weird very kind of wistful cosmic kind of way there's no other way to explain it mm -hmm. but yeah it, it's 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 kind of it's again its own thing and then like i say i think devils do does one in like the 90s and idw i think does one the Micronauts are an, a um they're a copyright nightmare mm. because the original toys there's been two different versions of the toys mm -hmm. in japan correction three because they brought them back as as the current version in the 90s the Japanese has the uh, story that went with the toys that was a comic. There was an animated series for the line that came out in the 90s, which is sort of separate from the original. And there's some dispute about how that all fits together. And then you've got the Micronauts toys that I think Marty Abrams has the rights to, but they don't have the rights to any of the imagery of that because those are based on, those are the Microman toys. Mm -hmm. And then... The Marvel version is different, and a lot of stuff in the Marvel comic, Marvel did up. Yep. It, it had nothing to do with the toys. And then, like I said, the Devil's Do one, the IDW ones, they've all added and subtracted stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I think there's been a lot of attempts to bring the Micronauts back over the years, and I think that's been one of the things hobbling it, is that nobody knows who owns what anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's just a mess. And, it's, and that's, again, probably one of the reasons why... We might see a reprint at some point, but it's it, it's tricky. It's tricky. 
Yeah. Anyways, we should probably get moving on. Um, so next was another series that I collected. Again, another one of my early collection, Marvel collectors was the Shogun Warriors from 1979. Yeah. Um, now that one I liked a little more. Actually, to be honest, I like even though Godzilla, I like Godzilla more than the Shogun Warriors as characters. I like the Shogun Warriors comic more than I like the Godzilla comic when I was a kid because again, a lot more action, giant robots beating up monsters, fighting other stuff. It was awesome. You know, they they had a fairly simple premise. Um, basically, there was this like group of immortals that basically were guardians to that uh, kept this super scientific the remnants of a super scientific civilization. Okay, and then when the their evil enemy, oh, who's what's not Doctor Demonicus? That was from Godzilla. He was called something. Marcon, yeah, exactly. There we go. He shows up, mm-hmm. and he he another evil immortal enemy, and he shows up, and so they they recruit a couple humans to become the pilots of the Shogun Warriors. Which are mm-hmm. yeah. I have a couple of those comics too. The first one. Yep. You probably do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Combatra, Raidine, and Dengar Ace. Um, when yes. and of course the characters in the Sugar Warriors comics have nothing to do with the actual uh, Japanese stories or or the the robots over in Japan. Or com- the stories are completely different. It's just a whole different thing. But again, this has been my my major frustration, and, I, and one of the reasons, like I make fun of anime and manga and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that I got really frustrated at a very young age mm-hmm. when none of the none of the American shows either made sense of the of the stories mm-hmm. because they didn't do a, a faithful trans uh, transition or translation, translation yeah. of the of the original animations, mm-hmm. or or the or the sto- toys and the comics or whatever didn't fit and i just sort of felt like it was always sort of haphazardly put together yeah. and you know without any deeper knowledge of things like the internet or you guys right. um it just got me very frustrated as a story first person yeah, yeah. you know what i yeah, mean yeah. so no no i i get you can i, I get you i've seen some of those too i mean there was an actual you could say shogun warriors series force five which mm-hmm. was uh, that was on the air at this time. I couldn't see it here, but apparently down in the states, and maybe maybe you could get it if you got uh, Buffalo no, Twenty Nine or whatever. I get it. But and it was called Force Five because they took five different series, including one or two of the Shogun Warrior series, and they just kind of sliced oh, and diced no, them no, up. No. And they, I did see yeah, they that. They sliced and diced yeah. them up. Did it have Centurions in it as well? Or no, something? that would be later. No, yeah, that, that would be that's later. That was three. Okay, we're we're, was we're three. talking about late seventies at this point. It's late seventy, early eighties. Yeah. Okay. And they yeah. would have Force Five was on, and they had I don't remember the one of the series wasn't even a robot series, but yeah, but they Space yeah, Cadiers was the yeah, non robot one. The rest of them, they were shows okay. that had like forty or fifty episodes, but they only picked like twenty episodes of each. And so, yeah, yeah, you were just getting a kind of random smattering of these episodes of it. So if you had seen them, you would have been like, the hell? Uh, It was because they gained, it was kind of confusing. But they just dubbed over random episodes of these series and stuck them all together. Like... Yeah, and I I liked yeah. I loved Voltron, that, but it was the same problem. It was like Voltron of the near, far, and middle universes, and you never saw half of them. And and then they yeah. flipped between different ones, and there was no real connection between any of that stuff. I think the yeah. most coherent of any of those things that I saw was Battle of the Planets, and I quite enjoyed oh. that. Battle, well, Battle of the Planets wasn't really yeah, jumping I mean, around. The most coherent yeah. would be Robotech. That was that was the. See, that was yeah. much later oh, yeah, for true. me, right? So I wouldn't have been into yeah, it by yeah. then. Robotech came in, yeah, yeah. in the mid-'80s. Right. right? Battle of the Planets, the, uh, Battle of the Planets, was it only the first Gacha Man series, Don, or did they actually include pieces of the second one as well? Oh, it was basically part of the just, first. Yeah, because there's so many episodes of the first. Uh, really? And they're so, and they got chopped yeah, up yeah. so bad because yeah. of content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. 
Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. So, so yeah, the Shogun Warriors comic was pretty good. Is it amazing and great? No, but they, they, they gave it a good try. And they had some neat robot mm-hmm. designs that they actually used on most of the model to work with. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, and they took they some neat ideas. And, yeah, it, again, they it, it was a fun thing. And it ha- definitely had its fans. It lasted about 20 issues, if I remember right. And, th- and that was it. And it looks like, yeah. just like Godzilla, it looks like they only had, like, about maybe two-year deals for these things. Like it's, I find it mm-hmm. interesting. They yeah. they they are only about exactly two years worth of issues long, and then they're done. So, and it's another yeah, Doug Mensch book, right? Yeah, I think it was. There you go. Yeah, was Doug Mensch yeah. and Herb Trimpey. Oh, there you go. So yeah, it, isn't that amazing that we're getting Doug Mensch and and Bill Mantlo so many times in these things? Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think they yeah. pretty much finished with Godzilla and then just went right to Shogun Warriors. Actually, there you go. The, yeah, there was some overlap because I, I don't think it was that there was a specific licensing deal. I think they kind of ran their course. Like the Godzilla one, I think they wanted too much for the rights, and that's why it didn't mm, continue. Makes sense that it, they weren't planned to to end. Because uh, going to Jack's point, the Mike, the uh, Shogun Warriors is a great example of exactly how haphazard all this stuff mm. really was. Mm. Uh, because you had. The Shogun Warriors were toys that Mattel mm-hmm. did, and the toys that they brought over were from Japan, and they were all the robots from all the different super robot shows. So the big two-foot-high ones were the Japanese uh, Jumbo yep. Machinder toys, and those were made from the the robots from, like, you know, two dozen different mm-hmm. series. When, when Mattel brought them over again, there wasn't much backstory, but the backstory that they had slash implied was that the robots were characters. Mm. And this is why, like, they uh, published, like, coloring books where, like, uh, Mazinger, who they called Mazinga in the, uh, the, the English one, Mazinga was a character. He wasn't, like, a robot that somebody piloted. He was, a, a, like, like, an alien cyber organism. Okay, human. that's weird. I didn't know that, actually. And, yeah, and then when Marvel... Uh, did the version of the comic they made them vehicles mm. again but the the four robots and there's a catch to that they didn't um they didn't have any of the original japanese stories to them which was always the pilot's mm. uncle was killed by the invading aliens and he wants revenge yeah, yeah, it's the same yeah. story but but they brought back that idea now the thing i say there's four of them because there's a fantastic yes. four issue where uh where um, the main villain is exploring the ruins of the good guy's headquarters. Because in, in the the Shogun Warriors comic, halfway through, those aliens, the, the children yeah, of the yeah, light, they were. weren't they? They get killed, and their base is, this, uh, Shogun Sanctuary is destroyed, and the heroes have to take the robots and, and strike out mm-hmm. on their own. They did a Fantastic Four story where, uh, like, a, a no-name crook guy finds the ruins, and he finds... It's, it was a fourth Shogun warrior, but it was being mm-hmm. repaired during the original series. So it's kind of this just framework one that he takes over. And the book is extremely mean-spirited yeah. because it basically just completely wipes out every trace of the Shogun warriors from the Marvel Universe in like a very brutal and off-screen way. Because this thing like destroys the other Shogun Warrior robots and you just see the pilots going, Our robots are destroyed! What do we do? And the Fantastic Four wipes this thing out and then they're never yeah, mentioned Yeah, because again. this was a year or two later, I think. And this was their way of 
finishing up the Shogun Warriors story. That like, yes, the Shogun Warriors are out there somewhere, but we don't have the rights to them anymore, so we can't even show them being blown up anymore. So and this, so they just, yeah, it was just this attempt to kind of finish the story. Um, you you can see yeah. it's very mean spirited, but the truth is they couldn't use them anymore, and it wasn't an option. So it was just kind of like, okay, let's do a, just do a story about how what happened to them. Just the same as uh, you know Godzilla, yeah. as they kind of done sequel stuff where Red Ronin has shown up a couple times. Red Ronin, by the way, is a giant yeah. robot samurai they beat they created in the Marvel in the Marvel Godzilla comic to fight Godzilla. Uh, I I've heard yeah, of Red Ronin. He must Marvel. have shown he up did. in other Marvel. Comics. He's a Marvel character. Yeah, because yeah. I I have him. Yeah, I have yeah. him in something else, and I yeah, don't know what. He, so I have to go back. He pops up in the Avengers. Could be he the does. Avengers. He pops up a couple times. Yeah, totally yeah. could be an Avengers yeah. book. Because yeah. he's because yeah. again, he was created yeah. by Marvel Comics, so they he they own the rights to him. They just can't mention that he fought Godzilla, not officially anyway, uh, or they couldn't. <laughs> yeah, because in one of the movies, the current Marvel movies, doesn't Jimmy Woo show up? In the Marvel movie, yeah, he's in Marvel. Jimmy's Woo's been, yeah, yeah, he's he's there. He's in uh, what was it, One Division that they did last year. Jimmy Woo is a character. He's one. He's one of the Shield guys, except he's kind of this like he's nothing like the Jimmy Woo in the Godzilla oh, Shield yeah. comics, though. He's he not. was in the Wanda. Yeah, the One Division. Yeah, he's the Asian. He's yeah, the Asian guy. He show. He That's played right. b- played by oh the guy from uh the he played the father on the Asian American sitcom. What was it called? Yep. Uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Yes. He played the father. I can't remember the actor's name. He's a, I think he's Chinese, if I remember right. Um, no, wait. He's Korean. No, he's Korean. Um, and anyway, so the point is he's playing Chinese, but he's he's Korean. Anyway, but yeah, he's he, he's shown up, but he's nothing like the Jimmy Woo in the Godzilla comic. The S.H.I.E.L.D. agent is like this man of action and everything. Like he's this Asian-American, yeah. like super S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. commander and everything. He's nothing like the guy in the WandaVision. Because... Wasn't he supposed to be the pilot of Red Ronin? I think that was the plan. What didn't he end up piloting? And then the, and then the kid steals, steals it. it. Yeah, yeah. The kid steals yeah. it because it's again they wove in the kid plot, which is and everything. And it, as a kid, that bothered me. But now I look back and go, oh yeah, okay, I see why that's there. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, we should get moving on. Otherwise, we're going to be here for another three hours. Um, <laughs> so, Shogun Warriors happens. And then uh, Marvel finally, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture came out. So, Marvel took their hand at that. And they adapted Star Trek The Motion yeah. Picture, I believe it was. And uh, that became the Marvel attempt at Star Trek. I was going to say, which lasted, I believe, about a dozen issues or something like that. I have several of those as well. And then and then it went to DC. Yeah. And DC did much better with Way better. Yeah. Way, way better. Way better. Because Mar- Marvel got it right from Gold Key. Gold Key lost it and Marvel picked it Marvel right up. Marvel picked it the up movie. after the movie. Yeah. 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 The 79 yeah. movie. And then DC picked it up probably during the second movie because all their costumes like, are at that. The, the, the rap was on stuff. Yep. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was late yep. 80s. Yeah, okay. Um, and the Marvel Star Trek comic is not bad. It's not very on model. <laughs> I, 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 I no. read it recently. I, I went <laughs> through it. Um, some of the stories that they do later on are actually not bad stories. I mean, they're not... Uh, there's a haunted yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, there's a haunted house story, which is like, which doesn't make any freaking sense. So they... Inter- no. uh, anyway, sorry, you'd have to read it to understand why, why I say that. But it's because they... Oh, my God. Because... <laughs> What's up with the alien crazy guy? What? Anyway, sorry. 
<laughs> like they're transport here. I'll quickly explain. They're transporting this alien prisoner, okay, into a weird nebulous space, okay, and he's and they're and they're like he's he's insane, and they kind of imply imply that maybe he's got something to do with this, and they encounter a haunted house in space and such, which and the prisoner's laughing about this whole thing, except the haunted house has in the end nothing really to do with this guy, and he just disappears at the end of the story. Like he's literally, ah, you're all getting mm-hmm. caught by the haunted house, and we never see him again. It's like. What? The whole point of this story was you were transporting this alien prisoner to that place over there and you met a haunted house on the way, but you never... What? You never get there? What the <laughs> hell? Um, yeah, it's okay. It's It, it looks fine. It, I mean, they continued on, uh, but, you know, again, the DC one was way better. Anyway, so let's move on to the most... Uh, one of the other really important ones that, that Jack is really here for, um, which is ROM Space Knight. <laughs> Now, do we want to make breathing sounds or something like that to go along with this? <laughs> that sounds too much. Yeah, like exactly, Darth Drew. Vader, he does it. The, the <laughs> Rom's respirator. It's like hmm, that sounds like Vader. Yes. All right, so so Don, actually no, Jack, tell us why do you like Rom so much? Don's been talking a lot. Let's give you a turn. Oh, I I adore Rom. I Rom is one of the few comics that I actually just sat there and fell into the world and fell into the the character and just just devoured them like superhero comics i've always loved superhero comics and that and they were fun and they were you know interesting in that and maybe i think the only superhero comic that that had me fall into that world was reading the whole trade cover of the uh, the dark knight returns mm-hmm. okay. in, in and i was in university at that right. point but rom was a whole different experience for me because it was like in the Marvel Universe, and he did end up meeting up with several Marvel people. Lots of them. Um, mm-hmm. And lots of them, but he was just, he was so isolated, mm-hmm. and it was, it was such, he was such a tragic figure, and he was on a quest, I was a big King Arthur fan, I did my undergraduate thesis on King mm-hmm. Arthur, and uh, so, so you can imagine why I, it oh, just... Yeah. It really is everything that I particularly wanted. I was so bummed that I could never find, like, a ROM... Uh, toy, even though <laughs> the ROM toy looked pretty crappy yeah. comparatively. Just to have one <laughs> sitting on my shelf would have been great. The, the idea of ROM, by the way, for those people, he's an alien from a, a group of aliens who, if I remember correctly, had their like whole world devastated by this this alien species called the Diarrhaeths. And and yes. so they traded like and got rid of basically part of their humanity, their soul, if you will, or something, uh, and to to graft themselves to these very unique, everyone had their own version of space knight armor, and then they, I think their their whole planet was wiped out, and so they ended up going off to try to like wipe out the 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 diarrhaeths in the rest of of the universe, and he ends up on Earth, and diarrhaeths are are shapeshifters mm. kind of thing, they can hide, and so. He has this uh, analyzer. He has like two different tools. Yep. One's an analyzer where it just scans and it leaves like uh, on the comics is like this red beam and you can see the diarrhea through the human beings. And so his weapon actually kind of just like sends them to a phantom yeah, yeah. zone of some sort. So it doesn't it doesn't kill anybody, yeah. but it looks like it kills people, which is really cool because it leaves like this pile of ash. And so people think for the first bit that he's like this murdering monstrous robot and so they go after him as well so he's even more isolated he's, takes him a while eventually he is like sort of uh appreciated and they recognize no he's not killing anybody but it there is this long period of him just doing this stuff and yeah. just 
having to to get away, which is very cool. So, did I do justice to the the basics of it? Yeah, that's the the other thing too that you'll probably uh you'll probably uh, agree with is what made Rom different is the way they wrote it and did the art. It was a horror comic. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, yeah. for sure. It was compelling horror for 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 a young kid. For, for even now, I would guess there also is a love story, if I remember correctly, yes, too, there is. with the, yeah. one of the humans. Because he, he, yeah, uh, Stephen Brandy's. Yeah, that's right. And so yeah, because he, he lost he lost his the love of his life kind of thing, and then he he finally you know reconnects, and of course he can't be human again. So he's always longing to to put down his 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 burden to finish off this this whole thing. So he could potentially go back and become human again. But I think he felt yeah. like he lost it for the longest time. He could never do that. But that ends up changing somewhere down the line. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. he he ends up, when he crashes on Earth, as I recall, it's been like he's been fighting for like a thousand years. Yeah. Mm. And he thinks Galador is destroyed. That's right, Galador. That's it. Galador's the planet, yeah. Because yeah. he... Yeah, because he goes back, he finds out it still exists, but Rom was tied right into the Marvel Universe right from the beginning, mm-hmm. and the storyline was Galactus shows up to try to destroy Galador, mm-hmm. and Rom offers him another planet. He'll act as his herald if he'll spare Galador, and he leads him to the Wraith world, which Galactus can't devour. It's, it's, too, it's too malignant mm-hmm. for him. And as punishment... He, like, because Rom essentially tricked him, but he sticks to the letter of the word, doesn't destroy Galador, but he moves it. So Rom loses it. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Because that that was the second half uh, after they take care of the Wraiths on Earth by teaming up with every superhero ever, Mm -hmm. literally. Him, he goes out in space, and the last kind of third of the series is him meeting all these other space knights and them teaming up to try to find Galador. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. then Marvel presumably lost the rights or something by the time it gets to issue. And that's yeah. Then he yeah 75? he comes back and th- you don't see his his armor anymore the same way. It's a whole it it's sort of like Space Knights is the name of the the next series yes. and it's not nearly as good. Yeah, because right. they don't have the rights at that point. I think to the wrong yeah. designs, so they have their own special Space yeah. Knight designs that they're and they're in these suits of armor. Yeah, because he ends up at the end of the original series again. Forty-year spoiler alert to anybody listening. He gets he becomes mm. human again. Like they do find Galador. What one of the main stories is he one of the other space knights that he meets up. Uh, her name is mm-hmm. Starshine, and she gets killed. And Brandy, the uh, the the human mm-hmm. girl who falls in love with them, ends up taking her armor and getting her her body and spirit grafted to Starshine's armor after the original mm. one is killed. But it's done by one of the wraiths and it makes her kind of malignant and she gets ends up getting more and more brutal because what ends up separating them, they're both space knights, but she's becoming this like fanatical, like almost like terrorist against the wraiths. And and Ron meanwhile is actually a very gentle person. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Rom was yeah, Rom was pretty amazing. And again, just like the main Micronauts teamed up with everyone. And of course, we should mention also, of course, the Rom was also created by Bill Mantlo. Bill Mantlo. Bill Mantlo. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I would argue his two great epics are, of course, uh, Micronauts and Rom. 
Yeah. Although I think I saw a reference that Bill Mantlo apparently had a good run on the, I think it was the Hulk as well, the people that was very well received. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. If you think about it, there's some very definitive connections between the character of Bruce Banner and the character of, of Rom Space Knight. Um, just yeah. in, in that isolation and, and, and yeah. feeling like you're that. So, yep, he, cool. Oh, yeah. He, uh, Incredible Hulk, he was on. Uh, he was also the creator of Cloak and Dagger. Uh, who, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. And the creator of Rocket Raccoon. Ah, <laughs> well, he would be doing very well today if he was able to keep any of those rights. Actually, he did because <laughs> yeah. I looked into this. So his estate, or oh. when, when they did Guardians of the Galaxy, his estate went in and negotiate with Disney and those rights, the money from uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy with his tiny little piece is what's basically paying for his long-term care facility. He's still around and uh, it's oh, paying for his okay. life right now and it's 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 paying all Bill his bills. Bill is still alive? Yeah, Bill's still alive. I checked. He is. Oh my God. Poor guy, but he's still alive. Um, oh my God. Uh, we should I, I, very quickly explain. Um, what happened is is that in Bill Bill was uh, successfully he actually well, he was going to he while he was working at Marvel he went back to law school and became a public defender and a lawyer um, in the mid eighties and then uh, he even finished passed the bar exam and then in what year was it um, anyway short version is at one point in the early nineties. Basically, he was involved in a hit and run that left him uh, permanently mentally damaged, and so he's basically lived the rest of his life in a long term care facility. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I'll, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but yeah. it's it's truly a tragic story. He was an amazingly gifted, oh, capable creator and everything, and, and the heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And then he, yeah. yeah, lost. And then so yeah, no, Bill was. Think about all the lost stories yep, yep. that we have. Because of that. Yeah, yeah I know. Just... He's, he, he, he probably would have gone. Then again, he was transitioning, it sounds like, out of Marvel into being a public defender. Instead, right. he wanted to become a superhero in real life, basically, and pr protect people and help people. So, um, yep, here mm. it is. When Marvel Studios produced Guardians of the Galaxy, they negotiated a compensation package to the rights of Rocket Raccoon. Mantlo's brother credited this arrangement for ensuring that he would have care for the rest of his life. They also arranged for Mantlo wow. to have private screenings of that film and sequel and other sequel that just came out it's probably presumably so there you go um but uh no no bill was yeah i uh, like yeah he brought it he brought a lot of i wonder joy. if they did the same thing with cloak and dagger because that was a limited terrible series yes thing, they know, did do that too. probably probably yeah, tried to yeah. watch part of it yeah i don't know i don't know um hmm. it's interesting because you, you wouldn't because it was done for hire so when the, when they're like oh you know rocket raccoon it's like why would marvel mm -hmm. actually give him anything for rocket raccoon unless it was just part of a yeah I, unless again it was part of a you know public relations move or deal or something like that because they don't technically owe him anything for it work for hire right yeah it, it that that started back in 78 though when they did the superman movie mm, right because that's when word got out that uh, like Simon and Schuster basically got ripped off from Superman. They made one hundred and thirty-five bucks. Right. Yeah. And there was a big public outrage because shortly thereafter, um, if you remember, um, uh, Bob Bob Kane got credit for when the Batman came out. You mean you mean Schuster like and Siegel? Schuster Siegel. Simon, yeah. Simon Schuster is is a book. Company. Yeah, publisher. Yeah, <laughs> Simon Schuster. Yeah, Schuster and Siegel. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Sorry. Notice you never see them together, yeah. but yeah, but yeah, and then that was it. And I think there was a bunch of guys that I think sued because what sort of came out 
with the the Superman thing was that even though it was work for hire, a lot of the people that made these characters were young, and the argument was they didn't really understand what was going on. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they really couldn't sign the rights over because they didn't realize what that meant. They were just kind of desperate to get published. Right. It's also possible with someone like Bill Mantlo and Rock. Uh, it's possible he created Rocket while he was kind of like this part timer coming in and out or anything like that. And maybe he didn't sign the contract. <laughs> it's it's entirely possible yeah. that they, there was a contract issue that something didn't get signed or whatever. So he might still have <laughs> some rights. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I doubt it, Ooh. but. So obviously, there's some reason that they gave him the money, uh, besides just public relations. Anyway, we should get moving on. Um, Rom, again, awesome people. Please please read. Uh, actually, yeah. oh, yeah. and Rom, by the way, and I did tell Jack this last week because I noticed this. Rom is coming out as a collection. Uh, they finally did negotiate that, unlike the Micronauts. I believe it's coming out at the beginning of next year. I believe it is. Yeah. There is There are Rom collections coming out. Finally, okay. after like 40 Absolutely. years of coming out. Tell me when they hit the ground running, because I will be buying them. So well, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep. So, oh. that, so they're coming up. Also, in uh, so moving right along, in 1980, Dawn has Dazzler on the list. So what does Dazzler have to do with everything besides Disco? Because Disco and Dazzler. <laughs> yeah, Dazzler's an interesting one because she became like an important character in the Marvel Universe like in the late 80s going into the 90s once they made her a mutant sure yeah the original well she was a mutant from the okay. beginning but the story of how Dazzler happens is really really jacked up because okay Kiss a few years earlier Kiss did comics for Marvel and they were pretty popular mm-hmm. Uh, Kiss was uh, under contract at Casablanca Casablanca Studios. That was the company putting out their their albums. They were known for for disco, and they wanted some of that to, to reco- like recreate some of that. So Dazzler was designed by Marvel with the executives at Casablanca Records, mm-hmm. and she was supposed to be this like superhero powered by disco she the original yeah. designs she was modeled after grace right, jones sense. yeah who was just coming up at the time and the deal fell through i think casablanca went bankrupt shortly thereafter but marvel still had this character and they thought i don't know do a comic so they put her they oh, i forget what she appeared in at first but she got her own series pretty quick and it's just such a bizarre story about how this character in this book happened and then it kind of takes off i always sort of felt like marvel really wanted this character to hit so they sort of kept throwing her in places mm. to, to like force because disco was well dead and this her original outfit if you remember oh, yeah. the disco jumpsuit and the roller skates and stuff which she get does away with in, in like the uh late 80s in a hurry by mid 80s actually when she becomes an x-men she's that's done yeah and and again it was it but it's such a bizarre thing and it shows how Again, we got into this with the uh, half-hour toy ads. Companies were realizing that these big tie-ins, there was profit in them, but it was still new enough. Nobody really had a clue how to how to do mm. it right. Okay. Yep. There's and they were they were it was it was a process of evolution. They were figuring it out, All right, especially in the eighties. All right. Speaking of the eighties, let's continue on into them with Marvel and Miracle Man. Marvel Man slash Miracle Man. Why is that on the list? That's that's weird, crappy British stuff. Why is it here? well because it's another weird back and forth um Mm -hmm. in 1954 marvel man was a basic uh the british answer to captain marvel Mm -hmm. he was basically captain marvel with a blue outfit instead of red 
Right. Um, it gets changed later on. They kind of bring him back in like the 80s. It becomes Miracle Man because same problem they had with Captain Marvel with Marvel being a company now. Mm-hmm. It dithers back and forth. Uh, Alan Moore does Marvel a great Man. version of it. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, and that, that's yeah. the one everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. really good and one. That, yeah. that, and that took off. That was popular. And eventually what happens is a few years later, it kind of comes back to Marvel that Marvel becomes the company publishing it. Mm-hmm. After it makes the rounds for everybody. So it's this kind of weird rip off all around until it comes back to being something original where it began. Okay. Odd. All right. So uh, moving along, if that's okay. Why is Dreadstar on this list in 82? Dreadstar is another one of those weird ones that um, Marvel could tell because at this point you've got an independent comics industry going on. Mm-hmm. And independent refers mostly to distribution, that they weren't going through like the newsstands right. like Marvel and, mm-hmm. and DC were. There were specific distributors that were, 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 were pushing them. The system worked different. There were no like, uh, there were no buybacks and, and stuff. Dreadstar kind of starts out in like heavy metal. Marvel picks it up for a while. Uh, that was Jim Starlin, I believe, did Dreadstar. It ends up, it's another book everybody did, but the guys who created it hung on to the rights. Mm. And that was a weird thing, especially for Marvel at the time. Like they were aware of the independent comic scene, but didn't quite know how to capitalize on it. Because this is where a lot of their books uh, around this time go direct sales only. Right, yeah. Like Micronauts goes direct sales. I I got a subscription because we didn't really have a comic shop at the time, not a reliable one. And that was the only way to get them. You couldn't get them on newsstands. Mm. Makes sense. And and Dreadstar was one of those ones. Again, it was an early weird attempt at Marvel to get some of that independence heat that sort of worked because it was kind of popular, but... I think ultimately they nobody knew what to do with it, either Marvel or the fans, because it looks like a superhero story, but it's this weird, like theological science fiction story. Right. Okay. I I've never read it. I just remember seeing the covers and seeing it there on the uh, seeing it around. But uh, yeah, okay. Um, okay. All right. They didn't do a they didn't do an animation of it, did they? No, no, I didn't. It was so. yeah. Wasn't that possible? I just remember the comics myself. Yeah. Okay. The next one on the list definitely got animated, though. Um, and that would be G.I. Joe in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Which you could make an argument, for the at least for the 80s, might actually have been Marvel's most popular tie-in comic for the 80s. In fact, I bet it was. Like, in terms of sales and everything else, I would say it was probably the most popular. For the 80s. Yeah, and, and it's the one that's, like, uh, we've talked about, like, our G.I.J. Yeah, episode. we did a whole episode on it, so we don't need to repeat it here. But, yeah, Larry Hama yeah. and various artists. But, yeah, they literally basically said... Herb Tripp. Who was it? Herb Tripp did, like, the first uh, Because, of course, he did. Um, yeah, yep. <laughs> Herb, Herb is everywhere. Um, I wonder if Herb <laughs> is actually a code name for various artists working under one pseudonym. Oh. <laughs> um... Can I point out at this point that I am I when I was a kid mm-hmm. I was really ticked off with the new GI Joe. Why? Because okay. I had already been playing with the old GI Joe uh, characters, mm-hmm. um, which were nothing like that. Right? They were nothing like that yeah. at all. And so it just sort of like felt like, like what the he- what the heck is this thing? 
Now, of course, I I got into it because it was just so cool eventually. But at the first, I was just like, I kind of felt like this was like fake GI Joe because I couldn't understand why they had all of these. They they yeah was it? Did they have like Apache Chief or something like that? They had like a v- bunch of different kinds of like it was it was literally a guy named GI Joe and a couple of his friends kind of thing. Yeah, because the original GI Joe was like the twelve inch yeah. action figures. Yeah, then it became the action team. And then they did uh, the Super Joe in the late 70s, which is the 8-inch mm-hmm. ones. Right. But they didn't really have, too again, too much of a story. No, they like, didn't. No, no, they didn't. That's for sure. And then, of course, they didn't have a story when they created these G.I. Joe guys, really, either. And then they found this guy named Larry Hama, who was working for Marvel, and who, yep. who thought this stuff was awesome. And he's like, okay. And they're like, can you even create a story to go along with this? He's like, sure. And then so they, they basically, I mean, they, I think they had Joe and Cobra, and that was pretty much it. And then, for sure, yeah. so he ended up writing all the bios for all the characters that were on the back of the car- toys and everything. Like that's all Larry Hama, like all of it. Wow. And so, oh, I was just gonna say too. And this is kind of where that's the formula. This is where they finally figure out how to do these big mass media mm-hmm. tie-ins. Yep. And he did a great job. I mean, the G.I. Joe comic is fantastic. It really is. Um, sure. Up yeah. until a certain point. But 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 yeah, anyway, yeah, hell, he even managed to make Sergeant Slaughter work, which which was very impressive. <laughs> which is a t- which is a tie in with like a wrestling character. That had yes, it was. Yep. Yeah, I was wondering about that as well. Yep. 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 They did yep. that to go along with the G.I. Joe the movie is where he was first introduced. At least the animated version was anyway. And then he kind of takes yeah. over the animated TV series, becomes Sergeant Slaughter and his G.I. Joes basically after that when they do more. Um, yeah. So, which was kind of annoying, but eh, Sergeant Slaughter. So it's, it's kind of okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, they were really good. Um, and if anyone has not read them, I, I do recommend. All right. So next on our list is, yeah. and this is an odd, another odd one. I thought I was surprised when I saw Dread, uh, Dreadstar on the list. And I was also surprised when I saw Starstruck on the list. Yeah, because Starstruck is another one of those I think it bears mention because it's such a bizarre story. Right? Okay, why? Let's hear it. Starstruck starts off as a play, an off-Broadway play. Okay. It's this this weird science fiction story. Heavy Metal picks it up for a little bit, and then 84 Marvel picks it up as part of their, uh, part of the Epic line. Okay. Because Epic was supposed to be Marvel's basically answer to Heavy Metal. It was them doing more grown-up kind of fantasy and science fiction stuff. And Starstruck is another one that the... Uh, oh, I can't remember the names of the guys that did, that did it. Mike Kalua is one of them. And they kept the rights to it. They did, like, the, the, the production work for the play, and they did all the comics. And it's another comic that basically everybody's published at some point. Mm. And it was such... It's such a weird story. Like, I am a fan but it is such a weird, weird story. And it's it's funny that it's one of the things that Marvel thought to pick up, because again, like I said, I think it was, they were realizing the independent comic scene, it was different, like people weren't reading like superhero stories, at, not at this point, really. And they were trying to get some of that energy, but not quite knowing how to do it. Okay, so premise. The story is set in an Arctic future in which... Antarctic, anarchic future in which humanity spans the universe. The dread dictator has fallen and a power vacuum sparks a chess game of eccentric players scheming for control. 
The serial comic stories follow Captain Galatea Nine and her running partner Brusilla the Muscle as they navigate yeah. bad, <laughs> navigate madcap scenarios and surreal misadventures in between the galactic infighting. Okay then. Yeah, it's 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 it's. I really enjoyed it, but you have to have kind of that European comic sensibility. Seems very European. Yeah, yeah. Seems, seems, it it yeah, really it seems does. Very very European. Okay. All right, so there we go. So there's another one. That's that's an odd one. All right, next well, one. Um, this, if I can point out something oh, that I don't think is on your list, but I it, it strikes me as sort of in the same vein for some reason, Amethyst. Yes. Oh, Amethyst was DC. Yeah, that's why it's not on the list. Oh, that's it's DC. Okay, yeah. that's why. That's why it's yeah. not on the list. But because they did make toys from it. Oh yeah, they? yeah. Yeah, I ended up uh, for, for some reason. I ended up buying a bunch of those comics because it was fantasy, and I was interested, and you know, it was kind of cool. So, yeah, I got a bunch of those. Yeah. Princess Amethyst. And, and, yeah, that that was DC. Uh, the character was created whole cloth by them. Okay. And Amethyst was basically it's DC doing a Japanese magical girl comic. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Now that you say that, you're totally right. Although the Jet Magical Girl mm-hmm. comics you're talking about, Don, didn't actually exist yet. I mean, oh, sort of. Okay, there was like Mickey Momo, and there, there were the proto ones that existed. But the ones you're, t- but the Amethyst yeah. is basically like Sailor Moon. But Sailor Moon won't come around until the early '90s. Sailor Moon won't come around for another many years afterwards. Oh, oh no! Amethyst is basically it. Uh, uh, Mahojo Sally. Oh, okay, yeah, kind of yeah, kind of. You're right. Yeah, it is kind of. Uh, Madoka Meg Chan is kind of the same same story. Yeah, which again, which they would have been able to, which the remember all this is being done in New York, folks. So at this point, as you probably heard me mention, New York had its own Japanese television station, which was showing all this Japanese stuff with English subtitles. So all these all these yeah. Marvel people and DC people, they were all watching anime. They were all watching un, mostly unedited anime and Japanese superhero shows in the set. You know. Which the rest of the which which nobody except for them and people in San Francisco and a few other major cities could see, and they were watching it with English subtitles, and the rest of us couldn't see it. Damn it! And so they were so there was a yeah. lot of influence of uh, Japanese stuff that, with but ironically enough, only in the New York scene, but not really out and LA and San Francisco scene, but not outside it, which was really annoying. Yeah, because because tying in around that same time, and it's it's again a weird parallel coincidence. Uh, Marvel does the uh, Chris Star comic. Yes, they do. Except that actually has a toy. It, it does. They they teamed up with Rem Crystal Kofi. Warrior. I have yeah, some yeah. of his stuff yep. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chris Star is great. Um, anyway, we should finish the list off. So um, next comes America. Fuck yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I swear? Oh, anyway. Wrong Team America. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> T- T- yeah. Oh, wrong, wrong Team America. Oh, there's only one Team America, Jack. Um, <laughs> coming today. Coming That's today. The to save the motherfucking day. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I've got that song memorized. Sorry. Anyway, so like, not, not a great movie, but a great song. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, okay, this was the other Team America. Yeah, okay, because uh, tying in with the whole, like, there was a bit of American patriotism thing going on. It was Morning in America in 1980. Yep. Wait, was, was Reagan elected? I, I have the first three of those comics, too. Man, I have a lot of these comics, right? <laughs> Team America, and it's not my kind of comic, but I think I was just, like, fascinated with, hey, these are brand new. I'll give them a shot. Sure, why not? What was yeah. Team America actually well, about? Know, I don't actually remember. I mean, I know the movie. It's a car thing, right? Oh, it's a car thing. Okay. Well, they're... Yeah. Yeah, because this... 
this ties in Team America. They were motorcycle oh, yeah, guys. Yeah. And they had this, oh, they called him like the Phantom Rider that under stress, they didn't realize they did it, but they would link together to form this like supernatural motorcycle rider. Okay. And what it, what it was, Team America was done with oh, Ideal. Yeah, yeah. Ideal did, was, he was the, called they, the Marauder or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. Ideal had the rights to the uh, Evil Knievel toys, which we talked about. And Evil Knievel got some bad press near the end of the 70s, and he kind of fell out of flavor. And Ideal still had all the molds, so basically they just changed the colors of stuff, renamed them, and then they did that tie-in comic with, with Marvel. People don't realize it was a toy line because it, it didn't last real long. Yeah, there are, there are 12 issues of it. Yeah, and then they still show up. They're called the Thunder Riders now. Oh. But they're still part of the Marvel Universe because they can't use the name because, number one, the the name belonged to Ideal Toys, and number two, fuck yeah! It's a little <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm actually looking at, I've just got a PDF of it here. I just pulled it up. Oh my God. It's one of those things that you're, you, I'm looking at and it's, there's, I think there's more text on the page than there is actual comic. Like if you, if you get, if you get the chance to actually go, if you ever go back and look at it, it's like, oh, hail Hydra. Okay. There we go. Well, it's definitely a Marvel comic then. Um, but yeah, it's so, there's like blocks of text. Oh my God, this is like, when, and that's one of the things that I think always got me about most of these toy tying comics to go back to another thing is I was rereading. Remember I was mentioning that like my eyes were practically dripping out of my, my sockets and everything as I was reading <laughs> these things. It's because they're so overwritten. Oh my God, are most mm-hmm. of them overwritten? Right. Especially Godzilla. The Micronauts was not. I'll give it points for that. Godzilla, even G.I. Joe was a little better, but a lot of them, it's like... Well, I guess that was kind of the Marvel method, right? They gave them a rough synopsis of the story. The artist went and drew, drew it. And then the writers came back in and put in their two cents by adding all the text that was supposed to go along with it to kind of make it make sense. Yeah. But because of that, and they're done as separate things, there's so much text in them. They're not really telling the story visually so much. It's more like you're getting a novel that also has some pictures to go along with it half the time. And if you want to see a beautiful example of that, go look at the first issue of Team America. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, go look at that, and you, you'll see what I mean. It's just like, oh my god, is that a lot of text? Actually, here I'll, I'll, I'll. If you guys, you guys think I'm exaggerating, here I'll give me a moment. I'll link it. To, I'll, I'll let you see, see what I'm talking about in the chat. I'll, I'll link you to a picture of this. Just, just take a look at what I linked. Just, just look at what I. Just click on it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember that old issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, and the next page, oh, oh my God, there's like, I'm amazed there's any room for art. I really am. It's just like, yeah. oh my God, there's like, he's just text and text. Panel three, dagger hits the door right where I'm trying to open it up. Jeez, that happens every time. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. A knife, it just missed yeah, me. Okay. Anyway, oh, and in the same vein, we've also got US1 um, in 1983, which... Yeah. Did you bring up just for the fun of it, Don, or is there an actual reason why US One is on this list? It's it's another one that yes. it's a toy tie-in with like a toy line people don't remember. They were kind of like slot cars, but they were trucks. Yeah, just trucks. Around. It was like because this was done. Wasn't there the whole um, convoy in that craze, or was that already done at this point? It was oh, it was done by now. It it, it was done, but you were still getting people right. trying yeah, to cash echo. in. Okay. Because the Marvel comic is 
so weird because he's like this chasing this like cosmic truck driver and he he has like a cybernetic cb radio oh, and his yeah. other stuff and his brother's a villain and it it's one of the most what <laughs> you know mad lives at marvel uh marvel uh comics probably was a takeoff of highwayman or something like that from the movie or something you know remember this, the, before, oh, this, came, out way before, be, this yeah. came out way before it, was it yeah. before it yeah it was it was its own thing if you ever get a chance like you find him in like the 50 cent bin uh, pick a couple up just to read them just because they're so what the hell am i what is this like it's it's it it's it's so bad it exists in its own continuity and you can no longer tell it tell that it's bad because there's nothing else that you can compare it to to say this is a bad comic <laughs> it just exists like god it's it's its own total thing us one written by al milgram and artist herb trim of course um wow. yep and so <laughs> the only thing ulysses stone archer u.s archer ever wanted to do was drive the big rigs but his parents wanted him to go to college huh parents after his parents death that showed them his brother his, his brother jefferson made sure that he was able to go but even after earning multiple degrees u.s still wanted to drive trucks on a hall with his brother they were drawn off a cliff by a mysterious highwayman and u.s's brother disappeared Gifted with radical new technology, U.S. used it to used it and a super truck to try to track down the highwayman and figure out what happened to his brother. There you go, U.S. won. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't even cover it. It's just yeah, yeah. It's 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 one of those things that I don't know how this happened, but I would love to hear the story. It's the Roadhouse of of karma. <laughs> <laughs> Car comic. Yep. Yeah, but it's Roadhouse's scene through Family Guy. Yeah, I'm pretty fine. Okay, then. Yeah, well, that's... Roadhouse. You, yeah, there we go. But again, you know, it's Marvel Comics, and they're just checking out whatever they could at the time, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. That's, yep. that's kind of how it worked Throwing back whatever then. they can and making it stick on the wall. Talk about, like, just yep. the drawing, like, the artwork of, of these things. They're just so <laughs> audacious, Some of know? it, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, her trip. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. All right, so we better finish this on up because we're almost done. Um, oh, yeah, there's that little thing called the Transformers that came out in 84. Um, Transformers yeah, is... Now we have Jack's there. Secret Shame. Yeah. Do you, do you actually have Transformers? As a kid, hmm? as a kid, I liked GoBots better. <gasps> dun, dun. That's how bad, yeah. It just, for some reason, the cartoon made more sense to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's why I liked it better. I didn't like the, the, the robots better. They look much better in Transformers. It's just, again, it's always beginning and ending with story with me. And the story, I think, in GoBots initially was a little more, like, straightforward or, or easier to get into kind of thing. So that's well, why there I were, think as a kid yeah, I got it. From the planet Gobotron, there were good robots and bad robots. And they showed up on Earth and they yep. made friends and they fought each other. That's that's the story yeah, of GoBots. Pretty yeah, straightforward. Yeah. yeah, there you go. No, no they're not they're not robots. Oh, are they, are they like uh, the ROM guys where they're actually people, that, human or living creatures in robot bodies? Yeah, the idea of the GoBots the, was that the, um, the, the GoBots themselves were human, that their constant war had completely collapsed the ecology of their planet. And the only way they could survive was putting their like consciousness inside of giant okay. cybernetic uh, bodies. I don't know. That's, again, that probably would have been appealing to me more I, so because I'm much more of a human guy than a robot guy. Would that have actually been part of the TV series by Hanna-Barbera? 
Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, okay. the basic I didn't know story. That. I don't remember that part. Um, yeah, I, I even just listened. Did they, did they do comics weak. at all? They must have. I think I think they did, but the 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 con the storyline of them was from the cartoon. Yeah, the storyline was, the, was the, yeah the cartoon was the focus, but and it was Marvel Comics Cobot. So there you oh, go. There we go. I didn't know that. Um, I do know that I collected all the Transformers comics. I've got them somewhere anyway. Um, wow. Transformers comics. Yeah, they're again. That's a it's a beautiful example of origin story. Then we have no idea what we're doing. Um, until they finally got <laughs> to somewhere in yep. the early 20s, they got to Buster Witwicky and the Car Wash of Doom, which is when everybody I knew except right. me stopped reading it. Uh, um, because they're like, <laughs> the fuck is this? Um, so we're swearing, sorry. Sorry, folks. Um, and, but it's appropriate in this case. But the, And then, then they they fumbled around for a little while longer. with because And it was literally like every few issues they would have a different writing teams. So they were literally just like, Bob, you do it this week. Okay, this month. Sid, you do it this next month. Like, that's literally how it worked until yeah. finally they get Simon Furman, who was the British Transformers writer, who was actually really good and consistent. He'd been writing the British the British fill-in stories basically over in the UK. They brought him over and let him take over. And so there's Transformers, the Marvel comic, before Furman and after Furman, and they're very different from each other. Um, the stuff at, with Furman is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's not amazing, but it's pretty good. And he became kind of, if, anyone, if people remember the Transformers comic, besides Buster Witwicky and the Car Wash of Doom, they actually remember the Furman's run part they remember. He basically finished it right up until the end, and even the sequel series that they did, the reboots, and the, they're all written by Furman, because he basically became the Transformers guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we should try having him on the show if he's still around, actually. he's one of those, He'd be an interesting guy to talk to. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, not a lot yeah. to say about Transformers. You know, horribly off-model most of the time, but uh, yeah. You know, it was giant robots, you know, fighting each other. So I, so young Rob was cool with it. I didn't have Shogun Warriors at this point, so I had to make do with what I could get. And I was a yeah, big Transformers sure. fan, too. Um, all right, so almost done. So Quest Probe. What the hell was Quest Probe? I vaguely remember this, yeah. but I don't really know. Exactly. Now, after after Quest Probe, I think there's one more not on my list okay. I should add. We'll get to that in a minute, but what's Quest Probe? Oh. Uh, Quest Probe was, I forget the company, but Marvel did a deal with a video game company to do video games. And they were like those text-based games from this right, mid-80s. Right. Mm-hmm. So, And they did comics that tied in. Uh, I think they did three of them. The first was like the Hulk. And they kind of loosely tied in with the games. It, it was, again, it was another weird attempt to find some new type of mass marketing mm-hmm. to do. Because nobody had ever really done video games. And again, it was an example that Marvel and oh, I can't I remember the company that did the games were working fairly close okay. together. That it was the comic was coordinated with uh, with the, the video. They were games. trying to do this the whole synergy thing. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Bill Mantlo did one of them too. But the but again he did almost yeah. everything yeah. at <laughs> one point, so no surprise there. Um Wow, that has got to be the freakiest. Oh, I'll, I'll send you guys this picture. There's a picture up here because I just pulled it up of this guy who has the freakiest white afro I think I've ever seen. Okay, here I'll show you. I'll show you what I mean. I'll just I'll link it to you. And take a look at that, and you'll see you'll see what I mean. Oh, <laughs> it's basically for the for the audience. What they've done is it's like a 
white-skinned guy and he's got like a giant big bulbous head and, and a beard chin beard but what they've done is it's the everything's kind of flesh except that the the afro part is all got like sparkles and stuff on it's hard, it's really hard to explain it's it's kind <laughs> yes, of like it a dandelion that's gone too far but trimmed back. yeah kind of, that's a good way to describe it that's a good way to describe it <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just really weird. I've never seen anything quite like that before. I'll, I'll, I'll give no, some points. That that's, very that's, that's kind of new. All right. So, so Don, what is what's one of the one that should have been on the list but didn't make the list? What I'm going to add to this in 1985 is Marvel comes out with Star oh, Comics. That's a good one. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And this is important. Star Comics is basically yes. Marvel doing yes, Harvey Comics to the point. To the point they got sued for the comic Royal Roy because Harvey said that's basically just a Richie Rich ripoff. And it basically yeah, was yeah, just it was. a Richie Rich ripoff. To the point that a lot of their early books, they had guys that worked at Harvey doing the, the them. But Star Comics ends up being where all of the tie-ins, like the ones we talked about in mm -hmm. the Half Hour Toy Ad show, this is where they all end up. Right, yeah. So when when Marvel does like the Thundercats or like the Biker Mice from Mars or Strawberry Shortcake, who ends up everywhere, mm -hmm. she gets around. Co yeah. yeah, coincidence or not, but this is where they kind of all end up because Star Comics was seen as their kids' mm -hmm. line, and all of these other ones like like Transformers, I think, was the last mainstream mm -hmm. one. And there's a bunch of the Star Comics things like they did original stories they did tons of tie-ins like right from the bat they did like a heathcliff mm -hmm. comic which tied into the cartoon which tied into the newspaper strip um again like i said they got all like the the toy tie-ins they did original characters this is where spider ham appears mm -hmm. <laughs> spider -Ham. but sp he's the only one who kind of like stuck around yeah, yeah he stuck around yeah yeah even to the latest now movies he right yeah, he's in the most recent. Yeah, he's in the new movie yeah. that's coming out. The yeah. Spider Verse movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, th I think that was Mark Armstrong came up with them, and he doesn't start as a star comic. The first was Marvel Tales T A I L S. Uh -huh. That was a gag comic. Marvel uh, that was with Cat in America. Right. It was a gag comic that they did, and then they just gave him his own Peter Porker got Peter his Parker. own series when they did Star Spectacular yeah. Spider Ham. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and then stars the Star Comics thing only lasts for a few years, and then it kind of dies out with like the toy ads. But, but again, it's this idea you can kind of see that they're looking for the next thing, and this is the mid '80s where you've got the comic shop crowd. Marvel and DC are moving into that, and comic books are starting to not be a kids thing. Mm -hmm. So the kids companies are dying out because shortly after this is when Harvey Comics collapses like shortly after star mm -hmm. collapses yeah. and then the only one that keeps going really is archie yeah for sure that by now gold key is done um charlton died off a long time ago but charlton kind of vacillated that they didn't just do kid stories but because they had such shoddy production and rushed scheduling they just didn't look good but they weren't they weren't necessarily supposed to be for a young audience but they didn't have the time to actually write them yeah <laughs> That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And then, and like I say that, and then that's when you get into like, after that, if you listen to our half hour toy ad episode, that's basically yeah, yeah, what yeah. Star Comics is. is. That they were a comic book version of that. And eventually they just kind of uh, trail off. All right. And so, yeah, 
we sh- I think we should end where many great journeys be- both begin and end with ElfQuest in 85. Right. Yep. Now, Marvel still does tie-ins today, and they did afterwards, but when you get into the late 80s, it's kind of, like I said, that synergy has mm-hmm. kind of died off. It's not a thing. A lot of the secondary publishers are not like Malibu and Dark Horse. Uh, yeah. Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. And those, like I said, Blackstone. ElfQuest is, does this is Marvel? The degree. No, but say, what happens not, is yeah. ElfQuest is considered the first independent comic. That was Warp uh, Studios in 79. Okay. Wendy and Richard Peeney. Because nobody else had published their stuff. They went to everybody right. else and nobody wanted it. Mm-hmm. So they did it in their own. It kind of comes back around because 85 Marvel, and I believe again it was part of their epic line, starts reprinting the stories. Okay. In like a, a monthly format. Part of the revival of ElfQuest in, 80, in the mid-80s, you mean? Yeah, and it's 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 a weird, again, it's, it's notable because it's so weird because Marvel never really did mm-hmm. creator-owned stuff. Like I said, the Dreadstar thing was kind of that. Starstruck was kind was was kind of that, and then ElfQuest is again another version of that. So you can see for a few years, they're kind of humming and hawing about it, but ultimately that they never really yeah. go that route. I think they do have a couple other creator owned series that crop up, but it's it's something like I said they they really don't. By the time you get to the nineties and like comics are. Ex- then it all sort of this right. kind of just goes away. They got their new formula, and then yeah, they make that for a decade. It is not. It is not a DNA podcast until Don blows all the and that, exactly. Yep, until he blows the audio. <laughs> yep, there it is. Uh, he's very good at that. I still. I will get that bingo card done at one point, for, so people can can drink every time something oh, yep. happens. Yep. So yeah. So yep. There we go, and that's also I think a good place to. Bring this more or less to a close, um, gentlemen. Do you have any other? Do you have any comments about this? About the the Marvel comics? I think I think we've already established which ones are different people's favorites. I think that's pretty clear to anyone who's listened to this. So there's no point in going back and talking about that. Um, but I guess I guess my thought would be that yeah, this was a it was an interesting era. Marvel kind of uh, I won't say perfected it, but they did do a really great job of tying comics during this period. Like there were there, now there were a whole ton of ones that we we didn't mention that are mostly just you know one or two issues or a movie that they did you know, the Back to the Future comics for like two issues or something like that, um, mostly movie tie-ins and yeah. such or Garbage Pail Kids or whatever which I think they did as well. Um, um, but they also did what? They also did Ultraman. They did an Ultraman comic, really. Ultraman. I did not know that. Yep. Yeah, like they they did they did, and this is where I say like a lot of the later stuff it's not really worth talking about because it didn't really make any kind of impact or have any kind of lasting effect. They kind of did it and then it stopped. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I can believe that. Um, but in any case, so yeah, it's I mean, but these were this was kind of one of the peak at least of the seventies and eighties of toy kind comics that. Um, I don't think that uh, DC ever got anything similar to this. I mean, they did do Masters of the Universe, a few other things, but DC's le- DC never quite managed to do the tie-ins like Marvel did. Yeah, they tried. They yeah, really yeah. tried, but yeah, they never. It never really was their thing. No, except for maybe the DC Star Trek, which was pretty good. The DC Star Trek was pretty good, yep. but the other stuff, not really. 
But, you know, I, I was just thinking, really, the, the 80s is the apex for so much of the stuff that DNA Podcast is about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether it's in it movies or comics or toys or television, it, it either they're the stories that keep, keep being remade even to this day, or they are they are still the the um, the, the the way you create that kind of storytelling. Like I mean, mm-hmm. just like yeah. Star Wars had redone everything. I had mentioned offline with it because I wasn't on the podcast for that, and I truly believe I think about it even more and more. Uh, being the old man, being the old man of this podcast, <laughs> I, I, I really do believe that I missed a critical point of commercialization when it came to toys and cartoons, and so mm. I don't have the same level of collector collectivitis that people right. that were just five years younger than me do, right? In the same way, and so there, there is that 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 big framework, and now we're almost hitting this like this massive glut where there'll be an explosion of something that's really neat, but then it's gone. Right. And it's not nearly as, um, as, as like a crater that so many of the, the, the tent posts of stuff that happened in the, in the early seventies and all through the eighties, did, even into the nineties, one could argue. Hmm. That's my yeah. thought. No, that's pretty reasonable. No, I, I think you're right, Jack. I think that, uh, there was a critical point like that we were our worldview was shaped by media and consumerism in a way as children of the eighties that people just before us like you didn't have. Yeah. I think that, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a significant shift. I would say as the people who grew up with, um, with smartphones, basically. I think the the smart, the people who exist post smartphone are just mentally and they're just different. They're just yep. different. The the generation that grew up with totally them, different they, view on the universe. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that yep. we can we can't quite understand. Absolutely, even though we use them in that, but we can't quite understand it. And so, yeah, they will do their own podcast someday, or more likely, they'll just ask an AI to do it, and it'll create one for them. But exactly, <laughs> maybe 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 that maybe their podcast will star us. You never know. They, they might say, "Yeah, I like that Ron and that Don guy and that Rob guy, and that Jack guy is pretty cool. He wasn't on enough. He should be on more." So create a podcast with all three of them on every week, and it's going to be about uh, about you know two thousands culture or, or you know the twenty twenties right. culture or something like that. And and it'll and it'll be simulacra. It'll have gone through all our episodes and created alternate versions of us. There we go. I'm terrified. We're actually in the Congress. You know that? Did you seen that movie? <laughs> no, I haven't. What's that? You have to go watch that movie. I have to go buy that movie. I watched okay. it once and it blew my mind. Robin Wright, the Congress. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of it, and yeah, it was. Yeah. It came out last year, didn't it? No, it was, was a couple it? years ago now. It was a couple years yeah. ago now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I do remember she was in it. That was a big deal, but I didn't I never saw it. Okay. No. And it, it's it's one of those things. It's it's a mass it's 2013 for crying out loud. It's oh, one it of those it's okay. it's one of those big thinker movies that a lot of people it will never have a mass appeal. Right. But it will sit there and make you feel very uncomfortable about the future. Uh huh. Well, I don't think that's difficult. It's I I can no. see. Yeah, but also in a very weird way that it like you'll be like tickled pink and then also like at the same time really creeped out. It's yep. It's something I think Don you'll really enjoy it as well too. Okay. Because ninety percent of it is in animation. Okay then. 
Yeah. Okay. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. Sure. Okay. We'll keep an eye. So, so there you go, Watch audience. Watch it. Go. Come back to me and tell me about yep. it. Um, you know, Jack wants you to go watch the Congress. That's your homework. And also, we'll read Micronauts and Rom as well if you can find them online or read Rom when it comes out. I guess for real. Um, so, Don, any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I think uh, tying in with what Jack was saying, like I've always said that pop culture ended mm -hmm. in the '90s. And I think because what you see is by the time you get to the mid-90s, all of these formulas that they've been working on since the 60s, 70s, 80s, they finally perfect. Mm -hmm. And what you're, look, what you're looking at at this time, especially like mid-80s and earlier, is that realization that you can do a big mass guerrilla marketing campaign for whatever you're doing. But because nobody, they, they could see it working but couldn't quite figure it out. You had all this just batshit crazy stuff that everybody was doing to test the water. And that's what made it so spectacular. Mm. And then, the, like I said, the problem was that you got, when you get to the 90s, they perfected it. So everything started looking alike. And then when you get to the 2000s, post-internet, you don't really have any kind of mass audience or mass appeal like you did. So everybody gets something tailored to them. And it loses a little bit of that oomph because, again, a lot of it ends up being marketing. They're giving you exactly what you want. Whereas if you go back to, say, the 80s, I didn't know I wanted a story about a guy whose like, brother is an evil truck driver and is trying to run him off the road because he's got a cosmic-powered CB built into his mm. skull. Yeah. Well, that, that was the fun of it. <laughs> the, yeah, that was the, going back to actually when we talked about British comics like a year or so back, um, there was that point where 2000 AD and such where they were just like, we need to fill space. So they were just mm -hmm. throwing shit at the yeah. wall. They were willing to do that. They had content. They had to get stuff out every month. They were just like, OK, sure, put it together and get it out. And by producing so much stuff, even though some of it was, a lot of it was crap, but there was some there were some gems in there by sheer coincidence, and they were building up skill as they were doing it, like Bill Mantlo did. Yeah, yeah, and I think too because for a lot of the folks making mm -hmm. it, they they because you the uh, the ultimate owners of the the licenses didn't know the formula either. Mm -hmm. They did, they couldn't exert the kind of pressure they do yeah, now. Yeah, makes sense. So these people could just go nuts and they're like, uh, guy with a CB in his head, uh, truck kind of slot cars. I don't know. Throw Galactus in there. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So no, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. On that note, everyone, thanks for listening. Jack, Don, thanks for coming out. And uh, if anyone has me, any. Guys. Yep. Awesome. Really appreciate it. And if anyone has any questions or comments, please drop by obeythedna.com and let us know what your favorite Marvel toy and uh, to toy and movie and whatever tie-in comics were of the 70s and 80s. And have a great week and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember... The to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!